What's going on, everybody? This is your host, Cincinnati Jeff, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Nachos McWerewolf. Today, we've got a special treat for you. We are talking to Vinny Vincent DeSanti, the writer, actor, and director, um, also co-owner and founder of Womstomp Films. You can see him in several movies online uh, as Ghost Jason in Never Hike Alone. He's also in uh, The Spirit of Haddonfield as The Shape. Um, he plays Ghost Jason again in the music video for Disappear, and there's just all kinds of his films all over the place. And we, we, he was kind enough to sit down with us today and just kind of flapjaw about his work and horror movies in general. So thank you very much, Vincent, for being on the show. Oh, yeah. It's a pleasure to be here, and I just want to congratulate you for being maybe one of the only people to get all versions of my name correct in every fashion. <laughs> well, there, there's also um, the, uh, Italian. Yeah, there's... Right? Uh, Vincente? Is that... Uh... Yeah, yes. No, definitely. There's that. Um, but yeah, Vincent, which is usually like, you know, just the always American Joe one. But uh, but Vinny is really what, what I've mostly been known for, but most of my life. But I changed it to Vincent only because uh, when I moved to L.A., every time I said Vinny when I went to Starbucks, uh, I'd always get a cup back that said <laughs> Benny. So Vincent is a little harder mess up, but I have got a few Vincents, and I just, I don't know what to do anymore, but now Vincent's stuck, and so I've, I've kind of stuck with it, and it, it looks good on the, uh, looks good on a yeah. poster. Who, yeah. who, who's named Vincent? <laughs> That's a weird one. I don't know. Vincent Price? I mean, I don't, yeah, right. If you, went, if you went and told them that your name was Benny, would you think they'd maybe got it right and try to put Vinny? <laughs> maybe. Maybe I should try it. Maybe if I try the B, they'll think it's a V, because it's definitely going the other way around, but maybe I just mumble a lot, so I don't know. I have Eric, so it's about as generic and American as you can get. Um, so uh, just to get us started, we were uh, we wanted to know um, what got you interested in horror movies in the first place. I don't know. I think it was just that we all have kind of like that imagery that draws us in. And I think when I started seeing scary movies at the rental shop, was when I was really drawn to them because I just found that the cover artwork to the VHS was so different from everything else. Like every other movie in the, the, in the rental house was like a famous person's face on it. You know what I mean? It was all these people that you knew and you saw in pop culture and you they were in every single movie and it was just really about them. And then when you went down the horror aisle, it was all about the film or the story or the character and the, and the, just the cover alone meant to scare you. And sometimes the cover didn't have anything to do with the movie, but the cover was so interesting and you had to know what was on that tape. And I think that that's what really drew me in to horror in the first place was that I was drawn in by the allure of what is there. And then also that aspect of you're not supposed to watch it cause you're a kid. So All I right. think because I was a troublemaker and I always watched like when they said like only adults could do that or only kids can't do that. I was like, well, I'm going to do it because I can do whatever I want because I've been birthed on this earth and who says what I can do. And so like, I was kind of like a, a handful um, <laughs> as a kid, but you know, and one of those things that fell into it was, uh, horror films and i just fell in love with it and kind of it bred my love actually for film in ju- in general from there I and mean, i always loved film but like horror really kind of ignited it are there me. any iconic uh vhs covers that stand out to you i know when i think back uh going to the to the video store i always think of uh, silent night deadly night as one of the ones that really always stood out to me 
Well, see, now Silent Night, Deadly Night was one that wasn't in my VHS rental shop. So it's weird because it, it's funny when I talk to people how, like, back then, like, it really did, like, depend on, like, who ran your shop. Because there were shops out there that, like, got that stuff. And there was nowhere around where I was that had it. So we had, like, the basic stuff. But we had stuff like April Fool's Day, Return of the Living Dead. We had all the Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Streets, Halloween. We had, like, the big four. Um, and then we had a smattering of everything else and we did and like, we had a lot of anchor Bay. So I watched a lot of like puppet master and like killer clowns from outer space and things like that. So, but there were things like silent in the Canadian stuff, like silent night, deadly night, or even sleepaway camp and the prowler that I didn't see until like later on until I like, you could either order them or find them at like Best Buy or get them off Amazon or watch them online. I, I, I hadn't seen those films. There was no way for me to do it because they weren't around where I was and I had no clue. Um, but I think for me, it was like return of the living dead got me American werewolf in London. Um, I mean, all, I mean, just Freddie and Jason and, and Michael, I mean, all those covers of all those, like the horror franchises were just amazing to me. And I, I just started like ripping through them all. Do you have like a key movie or experience uh, that got you interested into filmmaking in general? Not necessarily horror, but just anything, uh, anything out there? Yeah, I mean, I remember when I watched uh, An American Werewolf in London was, like, the first one I ever, like, snuck out of a room and watched. And, like, my parents were watching it, and I was sitting behind the chair. <laughs> you know, the whole, there's, like, the, you know, I'm kind of, like, just sticking my head out. And there's, like, there's there's just, it, it, there was everything in that movie. It was funny. It was gory. It was scary. And so I just, like, was, like, oh, my God, what was that? And I remember the next movie I watched was, like, Night of the Living Dead. And when it first started and it was in black and white, I was, like, oh, what the hell is this? And then, like, by the time it was done, I was counting the windows in my house to figure out how many, like, break points we had <laughs> of, like, where arms were going to come through windows, how much wood right. we needed. Like, oh, my God, all the doors have glass on them. They're going to come right through. We're screwed. And so, like, it just started my obsession with, like what happened if all of these horror movie things happened in real life? And when I stumbled onto Friday the 13th, it was my worst nightmare because I lived in the woods. I was a little Tommy Jarvis. Like, I grew up on a lake, and my friends lived down the street. And when I rode my bike, there was a section of woods that there was a... There was a light on one side and there was a light on the other. And in the middle of it was pitch black. And I thought Jason was going to come out of the woods just like he did in the 1986 <laughs> Nintendo game and just kill my ass. <laughs> and like, like literally just like, choo, 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 just come out and get me. And I was like petrified. And I used to play that game and the music would be playing and I'd be like scared out of my mind. And my parents had no clue. And they always laugh about it when they hear these interviews and they're like, we had no clue. You were so scared. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, petrified all the time of like the forest and the lake i thought jason was going to drown me and like all this stuff but you know it was the continuing going out and every day and conquering your fears and um and that's what i loved about horror movies and i would like it was always like a dare to like watch them and see if you could watch it all the way to the end and not be too scared um and that's like what the experience is at like when you discover horror as a child it's so much fun because you actually really get scared as an adult we very rarely get scared in these films but as a kid, it's like terrifying. You know what I mean? So do you think your parents are like behind your back making a list of after listening to these interviews? Like, I'm going to ground him for this now. And when next time he comes over, I'm, I'm going to make him take <laughs> the house for this. <laughs> no, I mean, they love it. They, they um, 
my parents are really supportive and they've always kind of like laugh. They, I mean, it's kind of funny. They, they kind of laugh and say like, of course you would have like made a big Friday the 13th fan film and, and all this stuff. And like, it, it just makes so much sense like them and, and my brothers. So, um, yeah, no, they they just kind of laugh about it because my mom's a big horror fan. She was going to be a forensic scientist. She worked in like morgues, uh, analyzed dead bodies. Like, there's like pictures and like picture albums that we have at home of her like pulling guts out of people. Uh, wow. And, like, I, yeah, no, I mean, there's stuff like you're like, you kind of see. I remember the first time I, I kind of stumbled upon that book and I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and, you know, then I discovered what, paren- you know, forensics were. Um, but yeah, and my mom. But my mom read a lot of Stephen King, and she watched horror movies, and you know was big into kind of you know. I, we, one year we got huge into Beetlejuice after it came out, and when Halloween came around, we were remodeling our entire house. We had just moved in. Um, you know, my parents had just like kind of like my parents got together and uh, they moved into this house, and they were remodeling the entire thing. So there were no there was nothing on the walls. So they just spray painted the walls like bats everywhere, and like turned it into like a Beetlejuice house, and put on like a play for the entire neighborhood. Where it was all choreographed to like music from like fan of the opera and Beetlejuice and all these different horror movies. And then like we would act out clips from different horror movies and we're all dressed up as different characters and like killing each other. And it all ended with like the Beetlejuice seance at like the table where everyone's like singing uh, the banana song. <laughs> Tally me banana. Right. And it was amazing. And like, that's like the kind of stuff we did when we were kids. We just like, we had nothing better to do. And we loved Halloween and horror movies and that's just how we, we kind of celebrated. And that's, I've always kind of had a, a love for doing that and, and entertaining and like thinking about production and how can you like make this work and stuff like that. So it's something that's been kind of inbred in me since I was a little that's kid. Pretty cool. I mean, that really is. I thought I went all out for Halloween. Uh, nachos and I love to celebrate it. We treat it more like Christmas. Even my wife gets in on it. We put more lights on our house in Halloween than we do Christmas. It's nice. Yeah, I mean, we didn't do it every year. That was like the one year we did it. And then when the, the house was finished, we obviously never touched <laughs> it like that again. Dad's like, no. But we had all those decorations and they would go up and we would do it every year. So it was really cool. And a lot of it was handmade. I mean, my grandfather who lived across the street had a garage where we would go and build, you know, if we needed a pumpkin, we would go cut a pumpkin out of plywood and paint it and do it ourselves. Um, and a lot of it was hands-on and that kind of like, you know, as I'm doing, I laugh about it when I'm on set now building stuff because I never realized how much like production design and set deck experience I had just from my childhood of building stuff just to build stuff, whether it was we're building a boat dock or I was building ramps for us to like skateboard on or whether we're building stuff for like, you know, something for the, for the yard. It was like, we were always building it on our own anyway. And it just had to serve one purpose. And a lot of that goes into like the types of sets you can build. And the sets I built for never hike alone were based on kind of our like crude family way of like building things just when you kind of need something made. And it was kind of funny, like kind of have that kind of come back later and later in life. Cool. That's a really neat origin story. So you're, you've got your drive, right? You're, you're now you're, you know, you're like you I can see where your passion's coming from. What is, what is the origin of, of Womp Stomp films then? So you, you know, you like you knew now you wanted to make movies. What made you, what, how did you start Womp Stomp, and what made you decide to go that route? 
Um, I mean, I had been working in animation, I think at that point, about six or seven years and working my way up. And I was a production manager at that point. I was on my way to becoming a line producer. And I realized that I didn't really want to pursue that career. That was a career of looking at budgets and managing movies and being a kind of a pencil pusher in a way. I mean, it's an important job and you know, I mean, I've done it and I respect it, but it's not what I want, how I want to spend my days. Um, so I started doing stuff on the side and never hike alone was like the side project <clears throat> that I was had in my head. That was kind of the start of it. Um, and so I built a Jason costume and I did some stuff and I tried something out in around like 2014, 2015. And it was a complete disaster. I mean, it was just like, I didn't have the right camera people, um, I didn't know what I was doing. I was so, I, I, it had been so long since I had done live action that I realized that like my entire experience was kind of lost because I've been working in animation for so long. We were working in computers and all like the technical and story stuff was, was sound and everything that I had in that regard was, was right. But I didn't have the physical production side of it figured out to say, okay, I know how to make the crew and what I'm shooting match what's in my brain because once it matches what's in my brain, then it's going to look like a movie. But right now I can't get it to look like a movie. And so I need to go figure this out. And so this is, so Wompstown films became this pursuit of <clears throat> what do you need and how do you find access to the tools that will allow you to separate yourself from, okay, this is shot with your iPhone in your backyard to, how is this not in a theater? <laughs> and that was my goal. And, you know, that that was really my goal. And um, because I just wanted to find that cinematic language. I wanted to find my voice. I wanted to find all these different things. And, and, and you know, it's a really tough road because we talk about this a lot. And there's no road and there's no place to apply to be a director. There's no, you know, you can go to, to school. You can do all that stuff. You can You can do that. But... Once you get out, you have to work and you have to provide a reel and you have to convince somebody to give you money to make stuff. So it's a really interesting task. You can go through certain programs and do certain things, but when you don't have that, you know, option, I didn't go to USC. I came from Worcester State, you know, university and nobody knows where that is, how to pronounce it. Even if they looked at the name, they call it Worcester <laughs> yeah, I've never and they, <laughs> You know, and like, and you know, it's just kind of, you're coming out of nowhere and you're working your way up. There's no place to go from like PA to director. There's no straight line. You just got to kind of do it yourself. Um, and you know, it was my career that was kind of pushing me in a certain direction, but I had a love for creative and I fell in love with doing the creative process as a story coordinator, as an editorial coordinator. I got to be involved with the creative process a lot. Um, be a part of those conversations, dissect those conversations a lot, because as a coordinator, you're constantly taking a conversation and trying to then build an outline out of it. So it was a great like study in you know story structure and tone and comedy and just everything about you know what makes a scene a specific scene. I got to work with directors and hear them articulate the certain strings that we pull behind the scenes as filmmakers of how to get a scene to look a certain way or how to get a scene to feel a, like feel a certain way or to get a camera to do something very specific. And so I was trying to use those tools in live action in the same way, the way that I was learning and watching and kind of um, studying at that time. So I think it was like, it was kind of like around that. And then, yeah, Womp Stomp Films is kind of birthed out of that from uh, 
my Instagram handle. It was like a, a name that I had for a long time there. Um, and we were starting to raise money for never hike alone as we started to kind of come back around to it. Um, and yeah, you know, it was just an interesting journey of, of growing the company because it started as just something that we had so we could promote never hike alone. And then I never even thought about the fact that like I would do other films on it. So I would do something like pathosis or like more music videos or even more never hike alone content. I thought like this was it. And it's really been like a, an odd journey from it becoming something just us to make something to now being like a living, like this living, breathing little studio that we don't do like giant projects, but every year we're participating, we're doing exactly what I wanted to do when I started, which was I didn't want to be in animation anymore and I wanted to be in live action. I wanted to be a student of live action the way I had kind of become a student of animation and take those skills and, and produce stuff. So now every year, Wompstomp Films produces something. We, we produce an original short or we produce a fan film or a music video or, you know, it, as big or small as it is, we at least are all getting together as friends and creating art. And in the meantime, we're working our day jobs. We're doing what we can. We're, you know, I work sets. My friends work at big companies, small companies. We all do different things. But this is our opportunity to come together and make something. And then when we make something, we get to go to a festival and celebrate and watch it and meet other filmmakers and talk to people. And it's a really nice community to be a part of. And as long as you're contributing, whether by offering up film or just even going to a festival, you just become a part of that community. And it's just, you know, it's it's, it's extending out and traveling and meeting people that are, you know, like-minded like you and other places of the world that becomes just an amazing experience. So, so uh, Womstomp, I hear that. It, it, it always sounded to me like the the sound that Jason makes when he walks <laughs> or, uh, or, I, or I think of Mario yeah. Brothers. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's actually from Star Wars. Really? Um, what? Yeah. So it it actually from there's a Nintendo 64 game that um, if you typed in the code Wampa Stampa, you could become the Ice Wampa and like go around the level and smash stormtroopers. And so Wampa Stampa uh, was this name that I've always been. I can't remember. I think I can't remember what it was. And my friend, I never had it. It was my friend who had it, and he'd be like, "Oh, put in Wampa Stampa," and I'd do it and I'd turn into the. <laughs> that thing and go smash stormtroopers but i always just loved that code wampa stompa and so like i used it like i used it as my psn handle like on internet chat forums wampa stompa womp stomp kind of like different things and so it was just this handle that i had that it was just it it's funny when you say it womp stomp films like it's got a kick to it it sounds cool it stands out and i was like why not i mean it, it's it's kind of you know, it's an extension of who I am as a filmmaker, the kind of projects that I want to make. You know, we're going after cinematic quality. Everything that that Wompstomp Films has been a part of has been, you know, to our credit, cinematic. And something that seems to at least stand out there. And then we're making everything else follow and, and get better as we go. And it's just, this is our avenue. This is our, this is the plate. This is like, I always kind of compare it to either being in a band like this is our practice space. This is where me and all my, you know, my buddies, my filmmaking buddies come together and we create stuff so we can become better filmmakers and then go back to what we're doing to extend our own personal careers 
or it's kind of like golf. It's like every weekend you get, you get together with your friends and you all play your rounds. You do whatever you do. You have a good round or a bad round, but you're making something. So as long as you're making something and you're out there and you're playing, you're going to get better. So it's kind of like that's this is our playground for us. And you know, as we get better, we know that there's potential for it to reach a higher level and hopefully produce some real like you know indie features. So as a filmmaker, <clears throat> what do you find harder, getting started or being able to keep going? Whew, wow. Um, that's a really good question because it, both of them are really hard. Um, sometimes it's like you don't know where to start. But I think when you're, when it's, it's, I think it's really easy to get started, actually. Let, let, me, let, let me just start there. I think it's really easy to get excited about a project. I think it's really hard to stay excited about a project and see it home because. It's kind of like a kid. It just like you love it. You want it to grow up and be the best, you know, person little movie it can be, but it just keeps fighting you the whole way. It just keeps pissing in your face and giving you so much trouble because this thing isn't working there or this schedule isn't lining up or the weather's not really lining up how you want it to line up or a million different reasons for whatever it is. It's just fighting you to be the, the, the movie that you want it to be. And when you go out there and you work, you know, 14 hours and it's 30 degrees out, it's really hard to want to get up at 6 a.m. again the next day because you know you can catch two more little snow patches of, of stuff. And so it becomes a real testament of discipline and emotional, like, strength, um, there's just a lot that goes into it. I mean, have, making a movie is like, and I'm not going to say it is as painful as, but I think it's it's like it's like a mental birth. It's like birthing a child over a course of like many weeks, and until you get it all out and you've captured all your footage and you kind of got it out of your system, it's a real struggle to like. I can't tell you how many times you know a movie will present to you an opportunity to say. If you tap out right now, nobody's going to question why. Of course you tap <laughs> out right now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, here's the button, my friend. Like, just hit that button. Here's your excuse. You don't have to do another thing. The pain will stop. <laughs> and, you know, it's really that moment where you look past those opportunities and you say, fuck that. Um, I got a job to do. And, you know, and, and, you know, just like recently with Never Hike in the Snow, it was the smoothest production I've ever run. And it was still, <laughs> it's still like, just wrung me dry because it's just that, that's what it is. I mean, that's what happens when you make independent films. It's just, it's a struggle, but it's within the struggle that you find your creative kind of passion. And, you know, at the end of the day, as long as you're getting your shots, I mean, that's, that's what's important. And so... I think really it is. It's much harder to to really focus down in those critical moments. And that's what really makes... Because anybody can come up with a poster and a title and a premise because it's just an idea and that idea can be anything. It's when you have to make that idea to match what your expectations are of it. That's where the work is. And that's where it gets really hard because you have expectations and you're not going to always meet your expectations because most of us have goals that are most of the time out of our reach you know we we want something but we have only so many 
days. We only have so many resources. And so we want it to look like a certain thing. And even though it, like other people think it looks great and other people will look at it and not even know, like to filmmakers, we're like, Oh God, what have I done? Um, <laughs> and you know, it's a real, I, I think every filmmaker will like can sympathize with that, that moment where they either first watch it or they, we kind of think about it after a little bit. They're like, what did I do? What did I do? And did, did I do what I said I was going to do? And so, you know, it's, it's, it, the whole path is there. It's just, I think what I always try to keep in mind is how sweet the ending is. No matter how great the project comes out, good or bad, the ending is always this unbelievable feeling of for better or worse, however people feel about it, something started as a scribble on a napkin and now it's going to show up on a hundred foot screen in front of people and they're going to watch it and that's the dream every filmmaker has they, the, an idea being projected in front of an audience that you now have the opportunity to entertain and hopefully it goes that way for you sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't but you know at least that and but you know and then even after that sometimes you just connect with one person you know and that and that's enough and, you know and sometimes you know and, and i had the fortunate opportunity with never hike alone to you know find a lot of success with it and have a lot of great conversations with a lot of fans about horror films and friday the 13th and independent filmmaking and um yeah i mean that's kind of what keeps driving me is that because no matter what as long as we're making stuff we have something to talk about and that's why we've just been so continually pushing to keep making more and more content um, in all avenues. So <clears throat> I really liked your answer, and I apologize. I knew it was a tough one. I wanted to have a couple softballs up there <clears throat> uh, before I before I asked that one. It's just it's just one that I always just enjoyed hearing in interviews. So I always I was just dying to ask it myself. It's a great question, and I loved uh, your answer. And what I, there was actually a specific part that I, I really liked, where you said, uh, "You know, anybody can come up with a poster or a movie title. It's going out there and then having to do it," which is literally how Sean Cunningham started Friday the Thirteenth, right? <laughs> so, you know, yeah. the movies that you're that you're kind of working off of is, is he went out, made a poster, right? Bought some ad space, came up with a title, mm -hmm. and he's like, "Now nah, I got to figure out this fucking thing." <laughs> Yeah, and he had to deliver, you know? It's like, and that wasn't even like, he didn't even have an idea in his head. You know, not a single thing. I mean, he, he went to Victor Miller, and Victor Miller wrote him his script, and now we have a legal battle that um, oh, God. is spanning what feels like the entire length of time that I've ever existed. I feel like I've never existed during, like, a Friday the 13th when it wasn't under oh, a legal shit. battle. But, you know, it's, it's starting to get, you know, we'll see what happens in June, but... Yeah, no, I mean, it is. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's, but it is where it starts. And that's exciting. I mean, like, I can't imagine how Sean must have felt when it was like, oh my God, Friday the 13th. What a great effing title. And he has that poster and he puts it in variety and people start biting and want to give him money. I mean, that's how, that's how they used to do it back in the 70s. There wasn't no Indiegogo. You just put your ad in variety and people were like, yeah, I'd buy that. <laughs> can you, can right. you imagine? Like, I wish. Um, that's wild. So, yeah, it was a different world back then. It was like the Wild West. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I remember hearing the story that, like, the $700,000 that he got to make that movie, it was either make Friday the 13th or build a strip mall. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's like, it, it, it's such a cool story when you think about it from an independent, you know, fan thing. And it's like, I mean, you know, independent 
um, film filmmaking aspect. And that's, that's the dream. The dream is to like kind of, it's, it's a bet. If it takes off and you only spend that much money and you don't go through the studio system, you have an opportunity to be free of all the studio strings that drain all the cash from the film and have, you know, your pocket, your hand right in the, you know, taking everything that you made back. And so it's really, a um, that's, I, that's the kind of the upside of independent filmmaking is the fact that if you work hard and you get something that lands with people, you're going to, you're going to be the one who reaps the benefit rather than going through the studio system where you'll get your cut. But basically any sort of profit or anything like that gets kind of figured out in some book somewhere that says that even though your film made so much money, you didn't make a dime. And so no one gets any money. Yes. I've heard of that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I do understand it. I mean, it's funny now that I've worked and I've done it, I understand where it goes. It's such a machine and it just makes me think about like, the gobs of money every single day. You know, it's like I understand why, you know, bosses look out on the floor and when they see people not doing anything, they realize that like every second of every day at like a Disney or a, you know, you, you look at what they make in a profit, it's like billions and trillions of dollars, but every minute they're like chugging away hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars a minute because you got to think about all the people they have hired on their floor from, you know, every secretary to every PA to the artist to the editorial to however many projects they have. And they're all, you know, it's just insane. And that, and to make it all work the way they work, there's just so many different people. And, you know, when you try to replicate that on an independent scale, it is like, uh, that's why, that's why the stress is there. That's, you know, that's, that's why the risk is there. It's like, it, you, what you pay for in the sense of freedom from all that, kind of attachment to all these different departments and things that ask and need things and tell you what to do and do that. You end the freedom to create. You also bring on that, all the extra jobs of, you know, having to fill all those things of everything that needs to be done to a movie where in the studio system, there's one person for every job. So you, you mentioned earlier about uh, your parents saying, you know, I'm not surprised that you, of course you made a Friday the 13th uh, film. Um, did you <clears throat> kind of always had that in mind? So let's, it's so it's 2015, right? You've directed the Red Room. Is that was that your first one? And then after that, you were like, I think I'm going to make a Friday the 13th. Yeah, in fact, actually, there was a version of Never Hike Alone that came first, and then um, that's when I went. I need to figure this out, and so that's when I started talking to Katie Swartz, who was a friend of ours, um, and she was like, Well, we're doing this thing, a 48 hour film contest and we haven't figured out who's going to direct yet so if you want to direct you know maybe you should direct if we get something like horror or action or something like that and then her and her friend rosie were going to direct if it was like comedy or uh rom-com or something like that and so we kind of split up the things and we ended up drawing horror and i got it and red room was literally my first directorial effort as like a narrative filmmaker and it was, we shot it in two, you know, in, I don't know how long, one night. I mean, we started at like 5 p.m. and we ended at, you know, 12, I want to say 14, 12 hours straight just shooting in my apartment. Oh, so that's your um, apartment in the film. Uh, where I used to live. Yeah, so I used to live there. So that's our apartment where we where we lived. And um, we, yeah, shot that in a night, cut it the next day, and just 
handed it in. That's why, like, the ending, there's no big... Like, at the ending, I wish we could have done something where we had the tools to, like, have a like a drill burst through the chest of the guy as she goes in and saves her friend. But like working with the limitations, we're like, well, we don't have the setup time to go into that room. So we'll treat it as every time we go in that room, we'll stay outside and kind of treat it there. Cause we only had the one setup to do that one scene where she finds the book. And then we had to break it down and build a, uh, an editorial bay. So, um, so it was this real crazy kind of like restriction and we just made it work for us. And then after that, I kind of felt like, okay, I have a better sense of how the day should be structured, how I should structure shots, and how I should tell story visually. Now I need to go find people who uh, can help me do this. And um, I started working on a couple more sets, meeting people through the 48-hour film production. I met a friend of mine named Andrew Katikian, who ended up inviting me to first AD a project of his called Athena. And that's where I met Chris Thellis. Um, in fact, actually, I met him on another 48-hour film project with Andrew uh, called That Bastard Santa, which was a lot of fun. So I started doing like these 48-hour film projects. And you know, we were doing them every couple months. And it was kind of like what Womp Stomp became. But you know, Andrew had his thing in that he was doing. And my buddy Kyle was working with me and I'd bring Kyle along and he'd help out too. Um, and so right, right after we finished Athena, which was a snow shoot and it was brutal, but we got through the weekend, it was a really good thing. And that's when kind of Chris, Kyle, myself, um, had kind of come together to be like, let's see if we can make this never hike alone idea work. And we started going out and scouting these locations that I had scouted previously in like 2012, 2013, just going out into the forest and shooting stuff. And during it, I came across the uh, abandoned camp that's in San Bernardino, right? Yeah, it was now. And that's what led to it. So during our trips to scout, uh, we went to another place where we shot the original trailer, and then while we were shooting that trailer, that's when we were tipped off about the the, the abandoned camp. So the first trailer takes place in a camp, not a camp, but actually a, a series of cabins that are owned by families that have been owned in that area since like the 1930s. And so it's very it's very rural, but they look like cabins, and we use that to our advantage to sell the idea of Camp Crystal Lake. And shortly after releasing that uh that trailer in may of 2016 we then discovered the abandoned camp and we spent all summer driving up there scouting it building sets um trying to figure out what to do um we shot a lot of tests we were testing out cameras and coming up with ideas and i was writing the script and we we're shooting like test sequences and scenes to see how we could light it and what type of equipment and trucks we could get up there. And then, yeah, and then we decided that we had this like kind of really good idea and that we should go for it. And that's when we tried to do a Kickstarter. And after that, it kind of like one thing led to another. And that's how we kind of built the project. So from were there, there any uh, difficulties? Uh, so you got your idea right? Um, were there any difficulties yeah. there now using Kickstarter and then later on Indiegogo to help you fund it? Oh, yeah, there were a thousand. I mean, the whole thing was just like one thing after the next. Um, the first Kickstarter didn't even go through. We raised $30,000 and we didn't get to keep it because we set a goal of 40. Oh, um, luckily, we raised, yeah, so we raised money privately and we raised about 20 grand and we shot the first half of the film and the first half of shooting was like just a mess i mean we shot we got really great weekends don't get me wrong everything we shot in the four that the in the fall that made it in the film looks great the stuff that didn't make it into the film the stuff that didn't work the stuff that like 
where cars broke down or we just had like the wrong equipment or the equipment would fail or we couldn't get the right equipment that weekend. So we had to shoot something else and it wasn't the right thing. It was like, it was just all my worst dreams come true because I could see the potential of what was there when it was all working. It was just like, you know, it was just like amazing. It was like, here it is. Like, this is, this is magic, but why do I keep running into these specific problems? And so when we shut it down for the winter, we cut together what we had. We had enough footage to cut together a really nice trailer. Um, we had a lot of work to do to get the rest of the film done. So I really just dedicated myself to being a better communicator, uh, being a better leader. And we ran another campaign on, kickstarter at that point that was successful and so we raised another twenty thousand dollars which when it all came when all was said and done we actually had money i would say maybe i had seven to eight thousand dollars for the film um we raised more private cash as well and then we went ahead with filming the rest of the film with that new attitude and from the first weekend to the last weekend it was like night and day and we got better every weekend and we found our groove and we found our voice and we found our team and we just jammed. And every, every weekend we had it very specifically scheduled the way we were going to shoot it. We had two big major weekends, you know, in the spring. And then we had one major weekend in the summer with the ambulance. And then everything else in between was a five man team that drove everywhere, got everything else, um, there's a trip to Flagstaff in there with 10 people to go crush Andrew's head on the side of the, the water. And there were these like, but it was like, it was the culmination of all these like game plans that we just kind of laid out and said, here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to execute it. And when the time came and it was go time, we just followed our procedure and we just, <laughs> you know, it was kind of like just hit the rocket and go. And hopefully we hit, we don't blow up on the way. And it was just like that every weekend and every week and the stress of every weekend, just like before you're about to like launch a creative rocket into the forest and hope that you don't burn it down. Um, you, it's like, are we going to make it? Are we going to get shut down? Is something going to break? Is, are we going to like, because if anything, if anything happens, you're in big trouble. You know, you, you, the you could that could be the rest of the, like you won't be able to financially recover from that you'll have to go back to kickstarter and explain to everybody oh one of our lights got blown over in 40 mile an hour winds and we couldn't replace it in time to shoot three scenes so now you now we got to raise an extra 15 grand to shoot this weekend you know what i mean and so it's i mean at that i think we could have done it for less but um but that didn't happen. So, you know, we worked really hard to make sure that like nights that we had wind and rain and all that stuff that we would have to go out and, you know, spend personal money to go get extra equipment to keep our lights from shorting out, to keep our lights from blowing over and like, you know, blowing down the mountain and stuff like that. So it was a commitment on every single level from preparation to financial to all of that to just believe in the project, see it through to the finish, get to the end and then just you know, pick up the pieces and move on. And, you know, it's most of the time, unfortunately, that there's, that's, that's a common story for a lot of independent filmmakers. And it's not always met with, you know, positive results. I mean, your film, your film goes to festival, but you don't 
end up making any money on it and all that debt you end up riding out and paying off for years before you can even make your next film and i was lucky enough with never hike alone to have it pay itself off um which gave us opportunity to make more product um and it was risky from a lot of different ways you know not only from like would it be able to pay itself off but is it even legal but we you know we just tried to like ride the line of what we thought was fair and it served us well so far and no one's complained and i think that we've done a lot of good um in both you know always giving the backers what they've purchased whether it be a piece of art and then all the things that they've done or you know us at the end of the day being able to create more content or the best part which is being able to donate to a couple of charities and you know dump some money in there and feel good about ourselves so i mean it's yeah it's a pretty cool like it's a good side hustle. I mean, that's the best way to kind of do it. It's like this nice little side hustle that takes care of itself. It takes a lot of care. Uh, you know, it takes a lot of maintenance. You know, a lot of my free time when I'm not working, I'm working on Womp Stomp film stuff. You know, it's not just like I'm working on Never Hike Alone. I got, you know, other projects that I'm pr- producing and working on. And we don't get paid for it, but we're a network of filmmakers that all combine our resources to to make good content so hopefully at some point somebody turns around and says you know what they do something right over there let's go see what those kids are up to or i guess we're men and older gentlemen now but you know let's go see what they're up to and give them a shot at something and give them some money to do something real and that's i think what we're looking for so you mentioned it uh just just a second ago about the legality of of making this fan film were there any risks or issues that either delayed or negatively impacted you uh, from the current lawsuit between Victor Miller and Horror Incorporated? No. um, I mean, actually, unfortunately, as a fan, the lawsuit uh, has actually, I think, helped Never Hike Alone more than anything. It's given us this window to exist and this window to stand up and say, hey, you guys have been telling us for 30 years that you're out of ideas. Well, I got one. And it works. And I got other ones that also will work. If you just friggin' stop and listen for two minutes, can I have your and attention, you please? I mean, they, they, uh, they really do. I mean, you'd mentioned earlier about making a quality movie that looks like it should be in theaters but isn't, and getting the attention of the fans. That's how it. That's how it came to our attention. Nachos had seen it, and uh, he had brought, he's like, "Have you have you heard of this?" And I remember bringing it up on YouTube like immediately in my house. I think I was supposed to go to work, and I, whatever I was supposed to be doing, I was late by 45 minutes because um, I was watching your movie. And I was like, man, like this is – why can't I have this? What the fuck is the problem? Yeah. Your wife's well, delivering a – it's like, whatever. <laughs> Hang on a second. I got to gotta see if Kyle makes it. Um <laughs> No, it, and so yeah, it, it you know it's it's given us this ability to do it. I mean, obviously, like if the series had continued on and kept making films, I probably wouldn't have made this film because the my need would have been fulfilled, or maybe it would have been further. You know, um, I'm trying to think of the word inspired because I would have been so upset with everything they were making, like a true nerd that I am. Uh, <laughs> But, I mean, it came out of frustration of not getting films, but also not really 
hearing anything come out of the trades of like they actually knew what I wanted as a fan. And so I wanted to do something where I was like, if I'm going to do it, I want to play by my rules. I want to I want to Friday the 13th by my rules and my standards. And what would it look like? And would it stand out? And it was a risk because it wasn't my original idea. It wasn't an idea that if you had given me $10 million and said, go make a Friday the 13th, I would not have made Never Hike, Hike Alone. It was made out of necessity. But within it, it was something that I, it, I discovered later in the process about, and I'm not trying to like get too high on my own supply with this stuff, but I realized how great and genius the the never hike alone storyline could be for what it offered as i started expanding the story and i realized all the tentacles it had in like for story expansion because of the type of story that it was and how it could be that conduit for friday the 13th to step out of the old formula and just get out of it stop relying on it and enter this new phase where story is a little bit more important and bringing closure to the franchise is a little bit more important and kind of giving it the swan song that it really deserves. Um, and this is such an excellent way to tell that story. And then once you do that, open up a creative just jam session of one-off movies or one-off franchises that just go in their own different directions. But give us one that just feels like the ending we never got. Let, let's see one at the end of it. Before you start a new one, let me get the ending to the first series that I never got because I love Adam Marcus. He's a good friend of mine, but Jason Goes to Hell did not give me that closure and Jason X did not give me that closure. And Freddy vs. Jason is no closure. It's just a one-off kind of film and the 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 remake really didn't do it. I kind of wanted to see like the ending of the story of Paramount because it felt like he washed out the sea, but what happened right. then? Right. <laughs> what happened after that? And I think that the Never Hike Alone story became this great playground. And I, I've just had so much fun working within it and developing characters and seeing the through lines that can be created based on the thought of him just, and kind of like the series had, is just like disappearing, going away. Like, what would happen if Jason disappeared in Crystal Lake? Like, what would life be like? But what if he was still there, but no one could prove it? And it was just this, like, thing that was there, and they couldn't, like, and I don't know. And it was, and I think that, like, 2009 tried to do that, but I thought they did it so poorly that I wanted to take a shot at it and do it my way and do it in a way that was a little bit more like less leaning on the cliches and you not asking questions, but inviting you to ask questions because I find an audience that has questions and inquisitive is more engaged. They want to know how and why characters are making a decisions and they want to see it played through in another kind of, as the story progresses of like, okay, where does this character arc take them and what are the lessons they're going to learn and having characters start in one place and go to another. And the films that stand out in the series, you know, as, kind of innocuous as some of their innocuous as some of their their side stories are the ones that are at least committed to and played out usually lend to the films that stand out in the series like a six or a four or a two side characters and main characters with through lines that take you from the beginning to the end of the film and then allow you to have your fun with jason in between and i think that that's something i wanted to see in a modern day version 
just now to modern day cinematic standards. So, <clears throat> pardon me. What's really odd and what kind of blew my mind when I was prepping these questions and nachos, you'll have to back me up here, but I know you had started uh, prepping this Vincent a few years ago, but here in the Midwest, we were getting rumors of uh, Jason Voorhees, Friday the 13th movies were, were being made. And we'd first heard, okay, we're getting a found footage. Um, and then the next one we heard was, we were, oh, it's going to be filmed in, in, in the snow. And it wasn't until I was prepping these questions that I was like, damn, I'm almost positive. I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive the rumors that we were getting here in the Midwest were of you making your movies, and they were just making their way here as just, this is actual, the studio is making them. No. No, no, no. These, those were actual... Um... Those were actual periods that the movies went through because I studied it very closely. I was trying to get a job. I mean, I was trying to see when those productions were going to go into production so I could get a job on those productions. So the first thing that happened was Shannon and Swift, after 2009, wrote a sequel to their 2009 remake with Derek Mears. It had a opening sequence that started in the snow and then I think went to summer. Um, and that got canned because Paramount had a, a regime change. New regime change came in. Paranormal activity became huge they were making big money blumhouse was making big money on one million dollar productions with found footage cameras so paramount put together a team uh david bruckner was the director to create a found footage version of friday the 13th and he admitted recently you guys should find this it's called the movies that never made podcast yeah um, talks good. all about it talks all about how the, the the friday the 13th he never made which was the found footage and the follow-up which was supposed to be friday the 13th 3d um which of all the iterations that they had in between us like from 2009 and right alone friday the 13th 3d david bruckner and uh what's his name not max how did you draft to that or no no it was nick and and tosca who does okay. uh, channel zero they did a draft and that was probably the best version that had so they were there were certain things of like of that they were going to do there and there were and paramount continued to keep replacing their bosses paramount went through a very volatile time between 2000 and i want to say 12 and 2017 where they were changing bosses every other year no one knew who was in charge directives changed friday the 13th really got the brunt of it um by the time they brought breck eisner on for the version that was supposed to be elias pamela jason friday the 13th um Another period piece. Both of them were period. Friday the 13th 3D and the other one were, were going to be period pieces. Um, and they were going to get started in 2017. Another kind of like, you know, that's when rings didn't do well and, and they, they shit canned it. Um, and we had the 3D movie even work. Well, they were thinking about doing found footage 3D, but what happened was is that they switched from found footage to 3D. Oh, so okay. found footage, and then Bruckner said, "This really isn't going to work." And I will spoil something for you now. So, is that his idea was that like he was basically going to have a bunch of kids on the run from Jason, almost continually get caught by Jason, but really save the carnage for like the end, so the camera could be in the room as all the kids got killed at the oh, same time. So maybe you see one or two get it from from here or there, but then and it was it was a really cool idea, and I, I really think that David Bruckner is a very talented filmmaker. Um, he recently did uh, The Ritual for Netflix, or he didn't do it, he did it on his own, and Netflix picked it up and, and was a Netflix original. Um, but he's immensely talented. Uh, it, we really missed out on him not doing one. And I think a lot of the... It was funny listening to him talk about it because a lot of the belief that he has in Friday the 13th 
are I have very similar beliefs. We were actually very much on the same page, and I feel like if he had got to make his movie, I would have never existed because he would have made the movie that I would have wanted to make, and I would have been happy. Um, but I, I hopefully, as I made Never Hike Alone with the budget that I had, I mean, he would have had twenty million dollars. <laughs> I had, you know, fifty thousand, um, and uh, you know, I think with what we had and, and the things we did, we tried to bring those elements to to the screen and because we focused on the the fear element and that just unstoppable train element of jason um that's i think that i think brought him back to life i think for fans and then having the camp reintroduced as as if you haven't even seen it in a long time was another great nostalgic reintroduction to the series for people, which I think is a nice kind of aesthetic to what, what we did. Um, when Andrew and, first stumbles on it and clears the debris away from the sign, <clears throat> I, I, the first time I saw it, I was like, man, that's cool. That's fucking, that's a neat scene. Well, I mean, I think that's like, imagine if you did that, imagine if you were hiking and you got to do that. And a lot of, I want, I want, when people watch it, I want them to think about it. Like, imagine if you found Camp Crystal Lake and you got to walk around because that's the fun of being with, with Kyle McLeod in that scene is being able to just walk around without anything going on, just getting a chance to look. I mean, people pay big money just to go to Camp Noby Bosco and walk around and look at it. It doesn't even look like the set anymore. But to have a character kind of do that is something we don't really see often in films. We don't take time to really take awe of our surroundings, which then gives it character. And I think that that's one of the things I wanted to do and always see in a Friday the 13th is take a moment to like acknowledge Camp Crystal Lake as its own sacred grounds. This is our like mecca Friday the 13th fans. This is where like we come every year. We want to see. We want to come back to Camp Crystal Lake. So let's look around and actually see what's here. What makes up the bones of this place? We've never got to look in the cabins and like peek under the beds and like the stuff that we've always wanted to do as fans. I wanted to bring that and create an experience that makes you feel that way, you know, from, you know, about the third, about a third of the way through the film through halfway, right about the time when you find Jason. So until you discover the camp, until you find Jason, the, the camp tells its own story. And reveals itself to Kyle and sends him all the warning signs, but Kyle's an idiot and he just keeps going forward because he's too wrapped up in his show. And so it's, it's, you know, it's this really nice thing and about like, hands on that you know, Kyle, I love how he drops it and he's like, I got to get that. Oh, and this evidence. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> he's so good. Um, so much fun. But yeah, so it was like, it's just this really nice, I don't know, it was fun to tell that story. And I think that that's when you know that you're, when you're onto something is like, no matter what your project is, when you're sitting there and you got a story that you just can't help, but you, you got to tell it. So this is obviously a beloved franchise. You yourself is a self-described nerd. I know that me and Nachos are. Were you worried that like diehard oh, fans yeah. were good? Like, cause we, as we see from like the star Wars fans, right. That can be very toxic. Were you worried that, uh, the, uh, guys and gals were going to kind of pick this apart and like the timelines and the continuities. Were you worried about any of that as you were finishing the film? Oh, I was worried about it from the moment I started the film. <laughs> you know, I was that guy. I had a voice in the back of my head, the angry Friday, the 13th nerd going one guy. Are you stupid? <laughs> Come on, kill everybody. Have 15 people show up and cut all their heads off. What are you doing, you big idiot? Where are the movies? You know, and so 
I have, you know, where's this, all the weed? Come on. This is, I guess, the first like, I've ever seen without boobies. Well, there are boobies. Are there? I snuck them yeah. in there. Oh, Playboy. Damn, good one. When he picks up the Playboy, there's a little flash. Uh, Come on, Jeff. Like, so, so I had that voice in the back of my head the entire time yelling that at me. And so it was really my, it was my kind of template of like, if I could make that voice happy, like basically turn around to myself and say, you're happy now, dummy. Like, yeah, I like it. It's good. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll take this. So they do that. But I honestly, even after telling that dummy to shut up in my head, he was pretty much on the day we were going to, the day where I was going to film it, like that little voice in the back of my head were like, they're still going to hate it. <laughs> they're going to, they're going to skew you. Oh man, they're going to get us. And I'm like, I know, I know. I was like, we just got to take it. Any of that? Come back oh. and, and uh, hit you at all? I mean, of course. I mean, people like come back. I mean, they, but it was funny because I was so prepared for it. And I was so prepared for, oh, there's only one guy. And, and it's funny when people say that stuff, I can see that they haven't watched the film. And I can see that they haven't taken advantage of everything that the film has to offer in place of the things that they're looking for. And I understand, and I think that they have reason to gripe because Friday the 13th is set expectation. But, and, you know, not everybody likes that style of film, and I made it for me. But you know what? There's been many more Friday the 13th that have been made that have been out of my taste range, and I've still sat and enjoyed them. Um, and I wanted to make something that was, you know, for better or worse, was something that was just treated with a little bit more care and respect than I think the franchise ever got from the people who actually made it. Because I feel like, you know, a lot of people came onto that, you know, in the, in the 80s, it was just something to do. You know what I mean? It wasn't like these people thought, like, the films were going to go on and be this mecca of a, of a of a legacy in film, but to them it was a job and they moved on and they did it. They never expected it to go that way. And so they weren't really thinking about it. It's like, Oh my God, I'm making a Friday the 13th. They were like, okay, this is a job. I'm going to do the job. I'm going to move on. And they weren't thinking they're like, Oh, what'd they do in part five or what they do in part three? How, how should the continuity be? They were like, Hey, I'm just here to read my script and do my thing. I'm just here to make my movie and move on. And I make my one movie and I move on and I don't think about what's going to happen in the next movie. I'm not going to think about what's happened in the movie before me. And some filmmakers added their own tidbits here and there. Like John Carl Beekler comes along and says, I'm going to make a Jason that is accurate to every single wound he's ever had. And I'm going to do all the research and I'm going to do it. And what he do, he created a pretty much pitch perfect Jason of every wound well, he's ever had. That? And do is that, but he puts him in a movie that makes no sense and takes Friday the 13th even further beyond the realm of which it was before from, you know, I mean, Jason lives. I love that movie. It's my favorite one. It jumps the film into the supernatural realm. And then, and then part seven just jumps it into like the next stratosphere. It was, I mean, it really is when the series jumps the shark story wise, but Jason looks amazing. So we forgive the movie and we watch it for those aspects. We watch it for the good gore and effects. We wish we could get an uncut version of it, which will never happen. My God. You know, and so, like, and so we have all these struggles with it. And I think that, like, I think what, what, what makes me understand what fans want to see is that I am that fan. Every single complaint that we have of, like, the you know, not being able to get any of the films uncut, not being able to get that part, th that scene in part three where Jason steps out and cuts Chris's head off, which I think would have been a way better ending to that movie. Um, and all these different little things that like Friday the 13th fans have wanted and never got. 
and understanding that and saying, these are the things that we want. How can I make those happen on my budget? How can I make that happen in a story? How can I make this manifest in a story and not feel contrived and actually feed into the story and actually enhance it and make it better? And so it's something that the franchise has never had before. It's actually somebody sitting down and saying, I care. How can I make this better? And not just saying, all right, these are fun movies. Let's just get some boobies <laughs> and some blood and splatter them all over the walls. Ah, zabing, write that check, baby. I totally you know? understand. So <clears throat> you're talking about all these different movies and the different versions of Jason that we've seen over the years, right? And um, a little backstory for the listeners. Um, when we first met Vincent, we we were actually unaware we were meeting him. We were at the Cincinnati Horror Hound um, that was 2000, uh, 2018. Or 19 nachos, right? 2019. <clears throat> and he was dressed as, yeah. uh, as his iconic character from his from his uh, Never Hike Alone movie as Ghost Jason. And it was Sunday. We Ghost were shit, very hungover. Uh, a little drunk still. I, think I was still drinking, man. Like, oh, man. I was sweating out the booze in the costume. <laughs> like, oh, you you'd like Ghost Jason? You, you like the movie? And then and Vincent was like, I'm the you're director. Like, I'm the fucking guy. <laughs> I was like, dude, this costume is fucking awesome. It's like, no, that's me. I'm, and I'm we, him. And even got it's drunk like, and watched it the night before, just on a just no on a shit, window, yeah, just fucking drinking and just not looking to go to bed. So uh, it just blew our minds. And so I, I, you know, I was wondering this during filming, right? You're talking about these different Jasons and these different iterations of them that the directors have and their ideas. Were you always your only choice to play Ghost Jason? Uh, for the fans that don't know, he is Ghost Jason in the film. Or would you have preferred to direct outside of the mask? Um, I think I'd always kind of preferred to direct outside of the mask. It was only when I had like, it was only when that the, it kind of came down to it that I realized I'd been building this costume and it only fit me. And so I was like, well, I'm doing it. And it was supposed to be a five minute short and it got bigger. And, you know, I do have help. I have Brian Forrest, who's my stunt double and who's, I mean, he's my double double. I mean, there are times where I can't get in there. There was a lot of stuff for never hiking the snow that I, I wanted to be in, in the costume and couldn't be. And it, it was a lot of like some of the instances on never hike alone where it was like, I wanted to be in the costume, but Brian does a great job. Everybody's moving. There's no reason for us to stop for 20 minutes to have me swap into the costume and then slow everything down because I'm going to need to watch every single take twice. So, you know, and not be able to like fix stuff on the fly and happy to like fix it after every single take. And so it takes a long time. So Brian has really stepped in but it's been a combination of being able to design the character and then have somebody kind of execute it based on your performance. It's it's an odd it's an odd dynamic. It's not like a usual acting it's not a usual acting dynamic where it's somebody saying, "Hey, this is your character. You you're going to make it. I just need you to do X, Y, and Z." And it's a real literal of like, "Okay, so I'm in costume. Here's how I'm doing it. Watch my steps." And it's like Corey. It's like it's like half directing half choreographing because Jason is so physical in his movement. And a lot of it is like dance. We time things out to beats. You know, we make sure there's enough time in between certain movements that there's a certain speed and, and finesse to doing that. And luckily for me, I know what I want character wise and I can accentuate it. And then on Brian's end, he's a professional stunt person. He's a dancer. He's uh, a puppeteer. A he's, he's everything. 
I mean, he is like, and he's an artist's dream. And, and as, as acting goes, he can do basically anything he wants with his body. And so, the combination of us, me knowing Jason's brain, and then acting certain his, things out, and him being able to recreate it, but then shift things and keep things in the same language is a really great, unique relationship that we have. And we have a lot of fun out there when we go back and forth because. He is a fan of Friday the 13th, but, I mean, he's nowhere close to as big of a nerd about it as I am. So it's cool to see him kind of light up when I hit him with something that's like, it's not just surface level like, oh, Jason's just the best because he kills everybody. But when I get into something kind of like like um, the psychology of it or if I get into just the motivation of it or if I get into a backstory about something and I say, this is where Jason's coming from and this is what he's thinking and this is what's going through his brain and this is what's going to happen and seeing him kind of like understand it be like now this is the this is now these are the movements and so it's a, it's it's cool but then when you're in it like that's another world in itself when you actually get to wear the costume and like be in it and be under the mask it's like being transported to another body and you're be- i feel like i'm in like the iron man suit because you're just covered from head to toe um, and I just feel like I'm just in my, like, I, like I can do anything in this costume. Um, and I'm just behind the mask and I can look at anyone and I can do anything and no one can look at my face or understand where my emotions are or anything. Um, but I can emote it and I can do it with my body. And that is such a challenge. And I never thought I would want to do it, but I love doing it. And I love playing Jason and, and, and creating, elevating him from just a robot to something that's a living, breathing entity that has thoughts and feelings, but is still that like deadly thing that you do not want to come across at any point in your life. These fights in your movie are very aggressive and, and even in some parts they're, they're hilarious, such as when uh, you as Jason go to finish off Kyle, uh, you turn to grab the machete, but when you turn back, Kyle is gone which is like a move most killers yeah. pull in horror movies, right? But he's he turns our, our hero does yeah. it to you, which... Yeah, he I, plays I possum. And then, of course... Well, I mean, if you guys remember, there was the possum in the in the middle of the film. That's right. Yeah, there's little things in there that, like, we kind of... I mean, it wasn't, like, obvious. But, yeah, he, he basically... Kyle treated Jason like a bear and played dead long enough that he could get up and get the hell out. Because he knew that if he could just create distance between... That's why he went back to camp. He wasn't scared of Jason. Because he could see that Jason doesn't run. But he could definitely outmaneuver him and get around him. So if he can get his stuff, he's in much better position. And if Jason like blocks him in, not, he's probably going to get away. And obviously he almost gets killed. But yeah, luckily for, for, for Kyle, his plan works and he's actually able to do what he thinks he can do. But Jason keeps stepping in his way every time he gets there. And eventually he gets to what his original plan was, which is just get out in front of Jason and I'll outrun him and he'll never catch me. And that's how he ends up, you know, getting out. When he tries to defend himself with the multi-tool that he was like talking shit about earlier. (laughs) Oh, talking and then this a, thing, and that's what they right. shit show. And then there's of course like uh, their first meeting when we almost attended Kyle's Briss on screen, uh, which is just always <laughs> a classic scene. So, um, between your costumes and your movements, what inspirations did you take from past Jasons, and what was your own? Well, that's a good one. I mean, I obviously watched everybody. Um, 
I kind of more watched how they shot him, what worked, what didn't. Came up with a formula for what angles Jason should be shot from and what angles Jason shouldn't be shot from. Uh, looked at timing and performance. So there's times where like Kane plays Jason beautifully, and there's times where Jason, where Kane plays Jason like Kane. And I think what I wanted to do was find the the through line of, and that's what I did with the film really in itself is find this through line of like, okay, if I look at this, you know, this film, I can tell it's Kane because he does these three moves, but what's a move that Jason does in almost every single film that feels like Jason and where do those things match? And now find that within me and find out what my, Kane thing is like what what am i gonna do naturally how is my body gonna move because i can't move like Kane because my body's not built like Kane. i haven't had the physical experiences that Kane has had so i mean i work with certain i walk with a certain cadence because of injuries that i've sustained in my athletic career and i'm sure that Kane has injuries from his athletic and stunt career and every other stunt person has injuries or things from whatever they're all walks of life we all walk differently every jason was different so i didn't want to try and be like someone else because it would be one of two things it would be oh you're just doing what they did and you're not doing it as well so i wanted to do something that was on its own its own kind of nice performance and so that started really with me going out in the forest and I would just walk up and down this trail because it was, it wasn't even it, you know, move left to right up and down. There were roots and there were things. So I had to walk on it and I would wear the boots and I would just try to find this like intimidating feeling. And when I felt like I was moving at a pace that flowed, that had intimidation, that just felt like, uh, like I just wanted to feel like a freight train. Like you couldn't get going you couldn't get going fast quickly, but with some movement and some time, you could actually pick up some speed. Um, and it kind of came out of like my natural limp that I have. Um, that if I don't like pay attention when I walk, I have this like weird limp with my left leg. And everyone always asks, are you okay? Did you get injured? And I'm like, ah, it's just, ah, you really don't worry see about it. it in that uh, scene, um, where, uh, you're chasing Kyle right before he trips over the, uh, do not enter sign. Um, where, and it's such, it's so interesting because there are times where like, okay, part two, Jason is running, but you mostly see his legs and feet. You don't see him really booking it. Like, you know, you know, Steve Dash Mm -hmm. and Warren Gillette, you're not seeing that. And then, uh, when you get Richard Brooker in three, you kind of see him hustle a little bit. And then Tom, Ted White and, and. He has a real casual. Ted White takes, yeah, Ted White takes some sprinting steps. But you know, it's, 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 I feel like it's a great combination, which is unique in this situation because I'm commenting, I mean, I'm complimenting both the actor and the director, uh, because the angle, um, and whoever is obviously, uh, moving that steady cam, and then you with your, with your brisk pace, and then even with the limp, like, I could tell by this scene, Jason is super pissed off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, up until the, I mean, that was cool. It was a cool turning point in the film, and we wanted it to go from Kyle was almost the pursuant. You know what I mean? Like, Kyle was almost the one stalking Jason in a way, and Jason was the one who was trying to remain hidden. And he didn't want to be seen. He didn't want to deal with it. He didn't want to bring unwanted attention. And I think that what's going to be nice is, and that's what I'm really looking forward to about Never Hike in the Snow is, Never Hike in the Snow, because it's a prequel, sets up a lot of things that when people ask, oh, why did 
Tommy act this certain way or why did Jason act this certain way? Never Hike in the Snow is like this catalyst moment that kind of explains the circumstances in which Never Hike Alone is existing within. And then when we kind of do our other, our, our other episodes, we'll see it play out in a really glorious fashion. Um, but that, you know, going back, to, going back to the, the Jason side of it, that like, that like in that moment, Jason has made his turn that he has now done trying to hide. He's now done trying to, you know, avoid conflict. Now conflict has found him. He's found his mother's head and there's nothing he can do to hide the secret. He's got to kill this guy, but this guy won't die. He's not like all the other people that I've ever run into who just, when I throw them out of a building and they hit the car, they die. You know, it's like, that's it. You know, I hit, I swing the ax, they don't move. They die. Like, that's just what happens and, and life goes on. Like when we did the disappear music video, we wanted to create characters that were really were like the more typical Friday the 13th characters, kids thinking that they're going to live forever, not paying attention to the world around them and ultimately dying because of it. Um, and you know, Jason taking them out systematically with almost without effort. Like he doesn't even have to try. It's just like, it's kind of funny and seeing that he's so un, you know, that he's so, unfulfilled by that now that it's just almost like a curse to him and now we're 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 with him now in this time where he's sitting back and he's watching and he's going to see if this guy will just come and go and leave me alone and just let me be and be with my mother and you know stay at the camp and and live out this burden un you know unbothered and then when this guy bothers him he's like oh fine all right i gotta do it here we go and i'll clean it up and wait he's not dead okay i'll hit him with the axe boom Wait, he's not dead. All right, I'll throw the axe. Wait, he dodged it? What the hell is going on? Like, this is bullshit. Like, now, but then the thing of being like, fuck, he's running for the, like, I mean, it's like Friday the 13th, the game. It's like, shit, they're running for the cops. <laughs> like, I gotta go. <laughs> so you kind of see Jason's intensity pick up, and for the rest of the movie, he's on a higher alert. And what's nice is, is that this isn't Jason at full strength yet. Jason's not going to hit full strength until the later episodes of when he's really pissed. I mean, the end of Never Hike Again, the next episode, Jason is going to be at a level of rage that hopefully we'll be able to really say like, okay, we know you've been waiting for the body counts and the crazier kills and all this stuff. Here they are. Like now we're going for it. And it's not to say we're not doing stuff like that in never hike again and never hike in the snow. We have some really great kills in never hike in the snow um, that I think are, are going to get people really grossed out and emotional and all these different things. But I think I, we're really going to like blow some people away with that stuff and know that like, as we do more, there are going to be more kills and we're going to see more stuff at this level. Um, yeah, it's going to be insane. It's going to be all because Jason is going from dormant to completely and utterly pissed off to it. Uh, nachos. You had a couple Hell questions yeah. about the, the ghost Jason costume, right? Oh, I did. Okay. So under the mask, like the hood you wear, what's that made out of? That's silicone. The, head, okay. the, the hood in the hands are silicone made by CFX in Louisiana. Uh, that's the deformed hood, and we use the zombie hands. In the movie, we used um, crusty hands, but I made the switch recently. So now we use zombie hands, and we get them painted uh, what we call Ghost Jason Gray. So it's like a really dark gray. You can see a little bit of the vein work. Um, and they do a really great job down there and it's available through their, their stuff. I mean, that's something that you, that 
that anybody can buy. It's not like they make it for us. We just ask them to paint it in a certain color, but they have a version of it and they have an undead version which they do we just ask them and you can get custom stuff they do custom stuff too because they made our ghost jason mask um so they made that as well and they custom made that from scratch which was a lot of money uh but they can do alterations and stuff like that pretty cheap but you know it, it's but their stuff is really great and it's silicone it feels great it moves with you it's not stiff like latex um i, I highly recommend their stuff I worked at a haunted house. I had to wear one of those silicone hoods. They're real cool. Like, they look good, but goddamn, they get hot in there. Yep. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, we've had to, we had to roto out a lot of sweating. <laughs> like, there'd be drips coming out of the mask and shots, and I'd be like, can we roto that out, please? That's, <laughs> no, it's lake water. That's the scene where bleeding yeah, from, just, from inside the mask. Like, they're just like, we'll get that in post. We're just going to clean that up. That's, that's Vinny's sweat. We'll just make it the blood. Yeah. Right. It's purple now. <laughs> All right, my second question: um, Where can I get a J- Ghost Jason mask? Because I want one. All right, so we did on uh, the most recent Indiegogo campaign. We did um, we opened that back out, so we do them in batches. Okay, uh, we do them with Sculptor Die, and now a new kind of fear has jumped on to help out with the production because they're you know they're a tough mask to make. It's not like your typical vacuum form mask where these are actually um, these are. I'm trying to think of the name of the. The material but they're they're it's a different type of process because it's an actually it's made just like we make the screen use mask we just don't make replicas um and right now there's a waiting list of about 60 people oh god <laughs> yeah so i mean we, we 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 keep the list open i mean people can jump onto the end if they want they just have to email us at wompstompfilms at gmail.com um they can get on the wait list and then when it comes time that they're Time is up. They either you know pay then, or if they want to pay up ahead of time and they want to reserve their spot on the list, they can also do that too. Um, and right now, we're actually making about ten every two weeks, and the production's starting to pick up. You know, with everybody down for for Corona and those guys knowing that we're done filming and we want to get the rest of our our stuff out, they've kind of picked up the pace. And you know, we finished ten last week. We got another ten going out on Monday. And then uh, we got another 10 on the way to Topher to get painted. So hopefully in about a week and a half, we'll get those turned around and we'll keep going. So hopefully, you know, three to four months, we'll be caught up on our list and we'll be able to kind of take it orders order by order. Sounds like I need to get on that list. Yes. And Um, everybody out there needs to get on the list. Uh, We also have uh, Never Hike Alone Blu-rays too, if you email us. So we still have about maybe 150 Never Hike Alone Blu-rays, third editions. Once those are gone, they're gone. It's not like we, we just have a continual supply that keeps getting you know, brought back in. Um, and, and then we're going to post about some other stuff that we have too. Um, my God, I got like a script or two uh, and some pins and so things like that. Yeah. I just real quick. As soon as I got mine in the mail, I'm like, I walk over to my shelf next to my other Friday, the 13th movies. I just slide there. I was like, you belong here, buddy. Nice. Yeah. So in those, uh, we have the second, uh, second prints. <clears throat> and there's there's a little card Sweet. there, like a thank you uh, to the fans. And then there's two autographs. One's yours. Is the is the other one Andrew's? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's Andrew. So that's really cool. cool. I, I, I could recognize it. It's like, I think this looks like Vincent's. Andrew's looks like a big mess. I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, no, because he's a big mess. <laughs> <laughs> so um, now you've got, uh, you've got Kyle, right? He's running from Jason in the movie. And Jason mm-hmm. is just super fucking pissed off. Um, we get a little surprise... Uh, cameo here kind of at this point of the film which i've watched it with a couple people like separately and every time they're like holy fucking shit 
is Tommy Jarvis. Uh, was Tommy always part of your story? I know you were saying you wanted to see something like of a finale to a specific part. Was the Tommy survivor like, or was Tommy the survivor you wanted, or did you have like ideas for some of the other survivors, like Ginny and things like that? Uh, Tom was not specific. Tommy was not specifically a part of Never Hike Alone at the beginning of it. He didn't come into the fray until about halfway. That said, if I would wanted to work with anybody, it would have been Tom Matthews and that Tommy Jarvis. Um, I wanted to see him come back and put a, put a finale to the whole thing. Um, and so it was just serendipitous that our, our EP hooked us up. Uh, he kind of met Tom through another acquaintance that he had and, you know, invited him to check it out. And it was funny because Tom really had like no, did not want to be in a fan film, had no reason to be in a fan film. And he saw our footage and gave us a chance. And it's something that we're super thankful for. And now he's a part of like a whole series with this. And, you know, he wants to, he believes in us and thinks that we have the story that could bring Friday the 13th back and can go to the professional level. So he believes in us. And when we say we want to do a project and we want to do something, he signs up a board and he's like, let's do it. He's like, let's make it happen. He's like, I think that you got it. And so, you know, so we're working hard at that. And like for having time to come on to that, I, I kind of pitched him like, listen, we already shot half the film. I got this ambulance role that I think if we swapped out it just being a driver, we can make you the ambulance driver. And it's funny because Roy was an ambulance driver and <laughs> you need a job anyway. Like what, what, I mean, what are the things that Tommy's going to do, Tom? I'm like, what, what professionally can he do? And you know, he doesn't make masks for other people. He doesn't make masks for money. He makes masks for himself. So he could become an EMT. He could do this. He could do that. And so since it was like we had the ambulance thing written in there, I said, why not a paramedic? Why not an EMT? Why not an ambulance driver? It fits within characters that have existed within the franchise before. It gives him the ability to keep his finger on the pulse. He can't, obviously, he's not going to get in the police department. No way they're ever going to hire him. And then... He's not going to go to school to become a doctor, and he could become a fireman, but there's no reason for firemen to be out in the middle of the woods to go pick up a lost hiker. So, ambulance driver it is. And it's been a really great kind of, again, um, it was all accidental. It was this thing of like, I had this in there because that's how the film was going to play out, but when, when I applied Friday the 13th to it and then started to do my story work, I realized that there were wonderful stories to be told. There were great character arcs and things that fit into what we will all as Friday the 13th characters like see in Tommy and recognize in him and understand why he makes so much sense for him to do what he does and then just like understand what his kind of struggle is which i think is really important we don't necessarily get into it too much and, and never hike in the snow but i never hike again it's really all about tommy's struggle and where he's coming from and about the day that he met kyle mcleod and his entire life got flipped upside down you know for the first time since meeting jason Voorhees, now for the first time it's like almost meeting jason Voorhees again for the first time after 30 years and the events leading up to that, and then how important these two characters working together are almost like a young Luke Skywalker and old Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan with all the knowledge of the past, and this young idiot who doesn't know what the hell is going on, but might be the key to like unlocking the whole friggin' thing. Like, all right, now we got to go on an adventure together, and I'm going to show you everything that I know. And so it's kind of a cool dynamic, and 
it, it breeds for better storytelling. It's not going to be repetitive, but we can still have things from Friday the 13th that are quote-unquote staple, still appear within the film, but not have it hinge on the film. You know, not have to build the whole film on cliches anymore, but just to have them make their special guest appearance and then get the hell out of the way so the story can keep moving forward and people can be truly entertained by what really brings people to the theater. So of the three actors who have portrayed Tommy Jarvis, um, you know, is, is, is Tom Matthews, <clears throat> in your head, is he, the, is he the Tommy Jarvis? I mean, you've got Corey Feldman, uh, who was obviously in part four, uh, Corey Feldman and John Shepard, who kind of shared a little bit in part five, and then, of course, Tom in part six. Now, when I think of, like, in my head, I'm like, all right, uh, you know, Tommy Jarvis, I always uh, think of Tom, but that's also because I've been playing the, the, the video game Friday the 13th for such a long time, too. <laughs> Um, so he wasn't originally part of it. Would you, if you had, if you had a shot to like choose, uh, not just based on acting, but just based on continuity. Like when I grew grew up, I thought of this as, uh, Tommy Jarvis. Would you, would you change, uh, your act, your casting choice? No, I mean, I'd always keep Tom. I mean, Tom would be it. I mean, I love, you know, Corey Feldman obviously is a great young Tommy Jarvis. And I think that John Shepard plays a great teenage Tommy Jarvis at, at, uh, at the mental high. I think his portrayal of Tommy in um, part five is great. Um, it's actually a big influence on how I am, you know, going to direct Tom himself and also Kyle because John really came up with the formula of Jason haunting you and appearing and how he reacted to it and how it physically took over his entire body and his performance. And that's something that I want to continue to happen is like a story arc for the characters. Um, but Tom Matthews, I want to see him act it and I want to see him do it. And I want to see him bring, I think it's, I think Tom for me is my favorite actor in the role. And I want to see him bring those things that Corey and John did to the character character wise and then see tom's version of it um so tom bringing back the, the thing that like he still makes masks in his spare time he makes jason masks because jason still haunts him and he sees his face type thing um there's that there's you know there's you know the john shepherd uh flip outs and things like that so seeing what happens when tommy has one of those now he still has them and what do they look like and have those kind of like kind of be their own thing so it's it's really kind of a cool like amalgamation of them all but i mean but tom matthews is, is the one to i think for us to tell the story and finalize it all out it's i think it's best with him him in the helm so mm -hmm. you've got or you've got your movie right it's finally been made uh your distribution of never hike alone for free on youtube was uh, i thought genius and then very generous what led you to that decision because I legally had to. <laughs> because that was the whole point. The whole point was that it has to be free and available for everyone to see it. And that's what we wanted. We want everybody on Friday the 13th for the first time in like six, seven years at that point um, or eight years at that point to say, oh, I can sit down and watch a Friday. You know, we wanted everybody to have that opportunity. And what we created was and when we originally did it. I mean, that's how it released. It released as online for free. And we also went to Telluride Horror Show and debuted it in front of a theatrical crowd there, which was really cool. So it was like an, it was like a That's launch cool. event, and it was a really it was a magical evening because you know we were already up to thirty thousand views in the first night and a lot of great reviews. Everybody was really kind of awestruck by it, and you know obviously it was a it was a positive kind of experience in that that level, um, and 
it wasn't until fans hounded me that I decided to make the Blu-ray. And the only reason why I did it was because I got emails all the time saying I want it on Blu-ray. I want it on Blu-ray. And I told people for months that it was illegal and I couldn't do it. I was like, it's got to be illegal. It's got to be illegal. And then I started doing the research and I started seeing what other people had done. And then I realized that if I treated it like a production, a production that pays itself off, that if you, if 2000 people come to me and say, Hey, we want a Blu-ray disc. And I say, okay, that's going to cost me about this much money. If you guys pay that much money and then all the money that's going to cost to like basically run this thing and we all pitch in together, I can create these discs and get them to you if you trust me. And everything has been about trust with the fans this entire time. It's been, do you trust me with this much money to say what I'm going to do and put this in your hands uh, and have it match the, uh, the quality that I expect? And... Luckily, I've had you know fans back me now three times. I've had three different versions of this thing printed, all with three different labels, um, all with all different, just so everybody could have their own version of it. And it's been—I didn't know how to do it before, and now I'm kind of like an expert in it. So it's—it's it's been a lot if of fun. If anybody's out there listening, trust him. The the supplemental material that you get with the, like the bonus features is just fantastic. It's something like you would get from Scream Factory. The quality of the disc is is just. Just a treasure. It really is. It looks great on the shelf, too. So, Vincent, do you like, do you prefer physical media, or are you more of a digital guy? Oh, I prefer uh, digital. I'm not digital. I prefer physical media any day. Um, it's so much fun to have it. Oh, I'm just going to figure it It's so much fun to have it, like, on the shelf. You know what I mean? And that was one of the things, yeah. that oh. if I was going to have physical media... And I was going to go about it, that we were going to make something that that looked good. And so that was a, that was kind of the thing. So the first one we did, I, don't, I mean, I don't know, I guess people won't really know, but we did a, uh, we did a red case. That one looks really and, good. Yeah. Is that for the so, first edition? So the first edition where we did the red case was really... Um, I mean, we went all out for that one. We were originally supposed to do black cases, and then in the process of it, the guy came across red ones. He was like, well, what do you think of this? And I was like, oh, that for sure. You know, designed everything around it. And it really, like, I kind of had a lot of fun doing it because it was, like, its own creative process, its own production design. Anyone who's a Friday the 13th fan also knows that one of the worst things that the, the franchise is about is its cover art. Um, <laughs> yeah. We've had a lot of bad covers come out in the last, uh, you know, I think ever since it went to Blu-ray, um, some of the DVDs, just real bad. Um, we had a couple good ones here and there, but it was kind of like my least favorite. Uh, the ones where they have all the wrong Jasons on them. Oh my God. The, it's like the eight disc one. And that was the first box that I ever had. I just remember them being like, why is Roy on three? <laughs> why did they turn Jevron's red? Yeah. Like what's that? Yeah, it was real dumb stuff. It was like, you can just tell no one paid attention. So when I was doing the, um, each Blu-ray for this one really was a question of what's going to look good on a shelf and make it like, make it proud to stand next to other Friday the 13th stuff and that it fits in and it like, just like the movie that you can't tell that it was made by a fan just like on the weekend. Do you like, um. I mean, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know if you ever check it out, but uh, some of this stuff obviously is very limited. Do you ever kind of like go to like eBay and you're like, "Here's my first print. Oh my god, it's selling for like eighty bucks on the secondary market." I know. 
I'm kicking. I, it really breaks my heart. But you got to be a little proud of I mean, it too, right? Because people are actually paying that for your yeah. movie. I know it's crazy. Um, I feel bad because I was like, you could have got it for twenty bucks. <laughs> I was like, I got one right here. Hit me up. Email me. I got it for twenty. You don't pay eighty. Like, and I understand that people want the first one, um, and it's cool. And I think it's like that's, you know, if I had just gone out and kind of just slapped a label on it and just went through the motions, I don't think that it's selling for eighty dollars on on eBay. And so I think it's really a testament of like everything through the process of everything that our team did, which was we put care and attention into it, and that's what separated it. And care and attention into the film into the home video and we wanted fans to be happy and luckily most of the time we make a fan happy i mean we don't make everybody happy but more consistently than some of the other one-off friday the 13th films and i think that that's something to be proud of i fully agree and your quality is fantastic even if like you said some of the releases including this most recent one for blu-ray the eight discs um nachos and i were just we still chuckle at it we bought it on blu-ray because it had all these special features that we were lacking on our dvds but we look at it is that the one with all like the green labels um no there's still the blue labels but the cover art on the front is like jason with this ornately huge mask behind this tiny body holding almost like a ninja sword i, I don't even know how to describe it um but no isn't that the one it's like a blue label and has like green yes, letters yeah, oh god it it's terrible. awful but the discs themselves they've, they've got plenty of features but uh like with yours you can tell that there's a lot of love when we first got ours i was like hey look you open up this little card to thank you and an autograph inside that was like oh nice. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't anything that, like, set us back a ton, but it it takes it. And I think that, like, what I wanted to say with it and what I'm trying to say with it now is it's, like, this is how I want to be treated as a fan. This is how I want to be treated. This is what I want my franchise to do for me when it comes in, when it says, okay, we're making something new. We're going to take a lot of care. We're going to put it, We're not going to put it through, like, the typical, like, ah, I just churn this out the way we turn out everything. It was, like, no, somebody in the franchise – is at an office desk every single day figuring out how to make Friday the 13th more accessible and awesome for people all over the world. And when a new disc release comes out, that when they show you the artwork, you understand that, wait a second, you got the wrong Jason on the front. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't even done the right thing. Or you know what? Let me go talk to my my friend Nathan Thomas Millier and... And have him do the artwork because he knows what he's doing. He's going to do, do something awesome. Or like go find artists from all over the world that love Friday the 13th and say, you love Friday the 13th? Well, guess what? You're also really talented. So here's some money. Go that's make this. Said. And when you come back, that's going to go on to the cover of the next Friday the 13th. And you've just contributed back to the franchise in which you love. And that I think is the sustainability on, on another level of the franchise of passing it down to the new generations to say, Hey guys, Sean, Victor, I know you guys are battling it out, but why don't you pick a young upstart, you know, filmmaker who has done this for a little bit and has some experience, could use some guidance, but has enthusiasm and some ideas to keep your franchise relevant. And listen, I want to make a Friday the 13th film. I'm going to make a Friday the 13th film. It is my life missions to make an official one. But at some point, other people are going to make them, and I want to be there for them too. Like I, I don't want to be Sean Cunningham. I want to be Frank Mancuso Jr. I want to be Steve Miner. I want to be them all wrapped up into one for Friday the Thirteenth, and then be able to hire more people to make wildly diverse, weird, 
crazy Friday the 13th content to ensure that content keeps getting made the same way Frankenstein content keeps getting made and Dracula content and mummy content and all this stuff from that era, which keeps gets regarded as like, you know, the golden age. It's like, this is our golden age. Let's see more Freddy. Let's see more Jason. Let's see more Leatherface. Let's see more Chucky. Let's see more Hellraiser. Let's see it all. But let's not let it fall into the hands of the typical independent fair, which seems to lack all form of quality, but actually be like, no, let's put it in like real filmmakers hands and see what happens. And I think a lot of these franchises will get there, but it just has to be put in the hands of people. If it's not me, it's gotta be somebody who loves Friday the 13th. And when they sit down and they go to the convention and they talk to fans, shouldn't be there like, oh, God, not another convention, not another Friday the 13th fan, but somebody who's like when I go. And I'm like, Friday the 13th people, here we go. Let's have the, let's, let's see, let's hear what crazy, like, theories are going to be pitched to me this weekend like i can't wait like i can't wait to hear this because it's going to be entertaining and it's going to make me laugh and you have great conversations with fans and that's who you want at the helm i mean that's what i see when i see people like kevin feig at the head of marvel you know i see somebody who lives and breathes marvel who wants to tell a cohesive story and wants to see it live on the screen for a long time if he was a fan of marvel he is now ensured that his brand his favorite thing is now going to be locked into the cinema for like another decade so he did great for his franchise and I kind of want to do the same thing for Friday the 13th and bring it to a level of horror fandom that, you know, that I'd say that like Blumhouse is doing with now Halloween, you know, taking their version of it. You know, you have Jason Blum behind it and Ryan Turk is obviously a big proponent behind it. And Danny McBride and David, um, I can't remember his last name right now, but it, you know, they're now being able to kind of take it and run with it. It's like, someone's going to get this opportunity to do with Friday the 13th. And I'm doing what I can while the franchise is locked down to get it as far ahead in my career as possible. That when the, when it is time to make a decision that I've made enough impact and, and, and I've had enough, just enough time to kind of present what the idea is and, and present myself that hopefully, you know, we can, I can take that step and, and take over Friday the 13th at some point. I would point. love to see that. I, I think that, the movie that you put out was, like you said, one of those movies where you're like, why is this not in theaters? I'm very surprised. We, <clears throat> There haven't been too many that have even come out recently in the horror world that I've said that. Uh, the, some of the more recent Chuckies, I was like, damn, I'm kind of surprised they skipped the theater on this one. Um, so, you know, you do see them every once in a while, but but with yours, I was very impressed. And, and the way that everybody kind of came together on it, I was... You know, e- even as I'd recently viewed it a-, a couple weeks ago, I'm thinking like, okay, there's the character Kyle, and I'm really believing that he actually has this YouTube channel, right? He's very convincing in his acting, where I'm like, all right, I kind of believe this shit. And then I'm getting like the back behind the scenes of like this fucking multi tools a piece of shit. You know, like I th- I think these exact things mm-hmm. about the YouTubers that I watch on a constant basis, and I'm like, this is pretty damn good. Yeah, no, he was definitely born out of that, that experience of being a filmmaker. And I'm not a YouTube filmmaker and I don't really I don't really understand their thing per se, but I do a lot of voiceover work. So I understand the the, the struggle of recording at home. Um 
and trying to do it when the the next door neighbor is barking or the ambulance is going by. And, um, and so I kind of like said, they got to deal with that too. What's their version of it? And so it was taking a lot of experiences that I had. And then Andrew himself is just, he's a wildly entertaining individual. He doesn't, he doesn't, there's obviously no Kyle McLeod YouTube channel, even though if we had the time, we would love to make one because it would be hilarious if, if I let Andrew run, run with it and I just kept him on a structure and we actually made that show. It would actually be really funny. It's just, I don't, we only had enough knowledge of camping to make the movie. I don't think we could actually make a show out of it. We had to like, I'd have to do a lot of quick research and stuff like that to be like, am I saying the right thing? Like, is this what people do when they hike? I know some of our like medical stuff is inaccurate, but you know, we, we did consult with medical people, but we were like, we're going to break the rules here, huh? And they're like, yeah, they'd probably do this. And I'm like, I know, but if they do that, the movie's over. So they're not. <laughs> so um, just hang with me for a minute here. And I'll give you, and, and in four years, I'll give you another movie that explains why they stayed. <laughs> um, and, and yeah. And so like, I think that, that, that was kind of part of it. Um, but Andrew was just, he's just amazing to work with. He's very personable. He does a lot of social media stuff anyway. Um, if you don't follow him on Instagram and Snapchat and stuff, I implore you to, uh, it's NC 17. Sometimes he is a maniac, but he's hilarious. And, um, he's just so entertaining. And all I had to really do was give him the camera and give him the beats and be like, listen, this is what you're trying to sell people. This is what you're doing. This is the gag. Sell it. And, you know, he had lines and he followed his lines, but like it was his interpretation of it and his just acting of it that just made it just really brought it to life because everything I wrote on the page is very clinical and just trying to like basically give information over and he brought so much personality to it and made it feel like your good friend came over, sat down with you in your room and started telling you a really good story. And, you know, that's always a good sign of a good actor. And I'm glad that he's my friend because I didn't, I didn't cast him. I didn't like pick him out of a crowd of a thousand people. He was just my friend and he was the only guy ever up for the job. And if he said yes, he had it. And he said yes. And he stuck with me for, you know, ultimately three years. I mean, he did one version of it that never, I mean, I don't know if you guys have watched the so behind that's, the scenes that's the yet, one but where, um, uh, the scene that sticks out of my head is where like, he's running along a lake and there's like an outtake where he just trips and falls on his face. That was from, <laughs> Oh yeah. So that's the end. So that was us doing, that was the first time we ever went out and shot with Evan Butka. Who's the director of photography. I never hike in the snow. Uh, Evan was like, Hey guys, I got a red Epic. You guys want to shoot with it? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> come on out. And so Evan came out and, uh, I had a really great time working with him and he just came out to come out. He was like, I just want to help and I want to shoot stuff with my red and I want to do tests with it. So I just need stuff to shoot. So why don't you guys go rehearse and I'll shoot your rehearsals and we'll go from there. And he helped me come up with my first version of my previs and the way I used to do my previs. So, um, that was really helpful. And he shot the scene where Andrew, I mean, where Kyle discovers the lake and so that entire scene, when we shot it in the spring, we shot a version in the winter of every single shot you saw. And we mapped it out. And when we went out there in the spring, we just recreated our steps. And we realized that if we did that for every single scene, that we saved so much time and everyone was so much better prepared that it kind of made the difference. And that was the big change that we made. And so 
but there's a if you watch the behind the scenes we talk about the scene that we talk about that with i said i just i trashed the footage and there's a shot of kyle running and he's got no beard he's got short hair and he looks like he's 10 years old and he's just running down the same forest that's the same no trespassing forest same trail same exact location just in the version that never made it to to screen because the shots the final shots were out of focus and we didn't have like three or four shots that actually connected the idea and so it um and so he did that went away for a year and a half i didn't see him i did other things made red room uh started recruiting people and then called him back and said hey drew we're gonna do this do you still want to play that character and he came back and he looks like he looks like jacks from sons of anarchy (laughs) i'm like this is great i'm like this is great i was like stick with this and we worked from there i know at first it wasn't as long but he had the beard and i was like you look like more of a mountain man i love it I was like, let's keep this. And as we did it, the beard grew in, the hair grew in. And by the time we started shooting, he, he just looked like he, he just looked like Kyle McLeod and it's just amazing. And I, and I love that character now. And it's just, it's so much because Andrew of who he is and what he brings to that role on, in every single fashion from his acting skills to his looks, because the dude is an Adonis. Um, and, <laughs> It's just, it's infuriating, like how someone is built to be that handsome. Um, but he is, he's amazing. He really is. I mean, he just, he just is. And that, but, you know, we have such, and, and out of it came just this really great friendship. And, you know, we went and made 13 Fanboy together out in New Mexico with Deb Voorhees. And we've done other projects now, you're, together. You're and, stuntman on that. Are you, are you actually a stuntman or is that like a character you're playing? No, no, I play a stuntman in it. Um, so the person who they have is the killer who couldn't be there all the time. So they had somebody step in as the killer, so I got to do some of those scenes. And then I have a cameo in the film as myself, um, which is fun. You know, I kind of get to play an up-and-coming filmmaker who's who's kind of involved with the wrong people. So it's a cool, like, side story that Deb wrote for me and because I was down there helping out anyway. Um, and so it's cool. And I think that people are really going to have fun with that film. And, you know, it gave me an opportunity to work with, with Andrew. And it's funny because some people in the film play themselves in, in real life. And I'm one of those characters. I, you know, when I get my, to make my cameo, I get to play myself, but Kyle, but Andrew's playing like a fictional character. So our characters don't know each other, which is a <laughs> lot of funny. And so, so it's like, we have like a, a scene or two together, um, where we're not, we're not supposed to know each other. So it's just kind of fun, um, to kind of play with that dynamic and then to work with deb and help her kind of you know put this little like you know scream meets friday the 13th movie together um which is a brilliant idea and you know we had a lot of fun down there and and, you know i got to work with everybody and and kind of be there for it and watch everybody take the stage and it's uh it's going to be a cool project and it's in fact deb just hit me up we we got to do some stuff and get some stuff i actually got to fly some drone footage for it i mean it's great and it's been it's been a lot of fun So when you uh, finished Never Hike Alone and you um, did the, uh, the video for uh, Disappear, then you've got uh, Never Hike in the Snow, and, you, and you, that's when you kind of started teasing everybody about the web series, about the prequel Never Hike in the Snow, as well as the sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, without spoiling too much, I know you teased that you have uh, Vinny uh, Stefaro, who played uh, Deputy Rick in Part five, uh, 6, and then you've got Douglas Tate, who plays Jason at the end of Freddy vs. Jason. Can you tell us if we can see any surprise guests similar to when Tom Matthews showed up in Never Hike in the Snow? No, 
No, in fact, Doug actually had a scheduling. Uh, he, I mean, he was going to be booked. So um, he ended up not being able to do it. That's why Brian and I stepped back into the role to play Ghost Jason for Never Hike on the Snow. Doug was, uh, we basically had like these three small windows that we could shoot in. And he wasn't available for any of them, so we ended up stepping back in. Doug bowed out graciously, um, and is on the is on call for future stuff for any future work that we want to have him do. There's definitely some big stunt work that I think that he'd be perfect for. Um, it would be fun to bring him in and also bring him on as a speaking role, which I think would be cool because um, we had Brian actually play uh, one of the cops as well, which is a lot of fun. Um, so having Brian play uh, Deputy Mabry in Never Hanging in the Snow was was cool to have. So he, that's kind of like a cool, fun thing to have him in there. So Brian plays Jason, and I play Jason in it, and it's kind of a cool, kind of a cool dynamic there. Having Vinny on has been amazing. Um, so him having him reprise his role as Rick Cologne, now Sheriff, um, was an opportunity to expand the story, uh, also expand Rick. Um, cause Vinny and I had talked about it and he actually a couple times, he's like, this doesn't sound like Rick. I'm like, it's still Rick. Rick's still in there. I was like, but you're an older, wiser Rick. I mean, Rick's, you know, you, I mean, Vinny, I mean, you're in your sixties now. Like you're not running around like young Rick Cologne. I mean, you, you probably got a family, you got all. And so we started to get into, into the thing and like, what kind of sheriff is Rick Cologne and what are the things that he's dealing with and how are we going to get to see the Rick that we all know and love? Because I think that's kind of like one of the things that that can help separate a, a fan film from being fan service to being an actual entry into the series is not being like, okay, we got the guy out here, so let's just put him on the puppet strings and make him do the puppet dance. You know, it's saying that like, no, let's build a new character. Let's build an actual character that actually feels like he belongs in this real world and he's not a cartoon that's just like running around. Um, and just being like singing out like zingy one-liners. And I was like, we'll give you the one-liners. I was like, but we're going to build up to it. And that's what makes it work. And so we really broke down the character of Rick Cologne, the way we broke down Tommy Jarvis and took a new look at it. And, uh, we, we had a lot of fun explorations and, and Vin brought a lot of brought a lot to the table because he's, he's an amazing actor and he's an, he's an acting coach. Um, and I've learned a lot from him. I've actually been shadowing him for two years uh, in his in his production class talking about this project. And it's funny to hear you say like, oh, you did Never Hike Alone and then you did disappear and now you're doing snow. We actually have been working on Never Hike in the Snow for over a year and a half. Um, I tried to make it last year and missed my window. I tried to raise some money secretly. Um, I had a couple private investors that were thinking about getting in on the project and helping us do it as a pilot. And I came very, very close, and in the last minute, it all fell through. And then the spring came along, and we had done some photography. But um, other than that, we didn't get a chance to do what I wanted to do. And, and we sat on it all summer. I continued to work on it. And then when we were getting ready to say, okay, it looks like those private fundings aren't going to come through. And if I want to do – because we're trying to figure out how we're going to do the movie and like how we're going to do a sequel and like what Never Hike Alone 2 was going to be and not having anywhere near the amount of cash to have to, to be able to do that. But if we could do a smaller project, what could we do and all these different things. So that's when we came up with the idea of taking – the movie splitting it up into three other movies and then using never hike in the snow is like a test to say okay let's isolate it so we don't put the the bigger project at risk let's isolate a story do it this new way we think is going to make everything better do what we tried to do last year because we really believed in never hike in the snow and the story we were trying to tell and go at it but we need something to like 
launch it. We need a trailer. We need something. And at the last minute was like, oh, let's let's make a music video. I've always had this idea for a music video. And Trevor Vaughn, who did the music for Never Hike Alone, uh, Another Soul, the ending credit song, which people tend to really enjoy, um, he had this song called Disappear, which when I listened to it, reminded me of Jason. And I came up with this idea for a music video in my head um, that I ended up shooting in a weekend with Rene Rivas from uh, Rene Rivas Productions, who I shot Spirit of Haddonfield with. Um, and then Nora Hewitt came on to be our special effects uh, supervisor. So it was a cool, and I had met Nora on 13 Fanboys. So it was cool that Deb kind of hooked us up and brought us together in that way. And so it was this great like, kind of exercise of like, let's go make something real fast because we haven't made anything Ghost Jason related in a long time. And it's about time we do. And a three minute music video is the perfect avenue to get some carnage, but not blow budgets. And at that point, we had paid off all of our debt from Never Hike Alone, and I had been selling the remnants of the Never, the second edition Blu-ray online, and I had a couple thousand dollars, and I just donated some money and was like, I got a couple thousand more dollars. We could make something. Like, we could go rent something and rent a camera and go buy some stuff, you know, and so we made the sickles and, you know, got some new Ghost Jason garb and built that stuff and, you know, rented a van and drove out to, to Flagstaff and shot that for the weekend, and it became our hype video for never hike in the snow and now you know it's turned into it helped us you know get to this point where now never hike in the snow is this became this gigantic production um which is completely different from the experience that we had for never hike alone never hike alone took a year and a half to film um never hike in the snow took six days wow that's a yeah huge difference oh. <clears throat> yeah yeah, way different when you figure out how to do it right. <laughs> where, did you, where did you film that at now? Because you're you're located in California, and this this being winter, and you said you had just a few short weeks. Did you have to drive north uh, up into uh, you know, the, the the Oregon, or like? Did... Just went out to uh, I went out to Big Bear, California, same place where we shot Never Hike Alone. Really? So we did go back to the same camp because um, the camp had actually washed away in a flood. Uh, uh... Well, uh, the road to the camp. The camp's still up there. It's still it's doing okay. I mean, a tree fell on the main cabin, and so there's a huge hole in the roof now. Um, but you can't get any equipment up there. So we found another camp in town, and whew, I got to tell you, we had one of the worst winters in California that we've had in a while. Last year, we got dumped on. This year, we got nothing. I was very worried going into the first week of filming, and... Literally the day before we got there, we got a report that it was going to snow the day we start, we started filming. And so I, I, like, I was like, okay, hopefully it's true. We got up there at 6 a.m. and it started snowing and it didn't stop until like 4 p.m. And then we got hit with another storm when we started filming all of our night stuff. So the first day of filming, we filmed through two snowstorms. Um, so we got plenty of snow. And then the rest of it, um, we had the remnants of those storms and then we got another snowstorm when we shot the next weekend in Angeles Oaks. And then when we went out to Flagstaff, we didn't get any snowstorms, but we had snow left over from previous storms that we were able to shoot around and at least create the assemblance that it had snowed and there was enough there to kind of sell it. So we really, really lucked out and realized how risky it is to make winter related material when we don't have the money to say, go eight. 10 hours north because that would have been that much more money on the budget um, for lots of reasons. So um, 
uh, just like obviously a little background in case anybody's coming to this later on uh, as this is posted. We're obviously going through the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic uh, that's affecting the whole world. Is this going to delay the release of the film at all? It has delayed it only in in personal regards. Um, I won't get too deep into it, but we have some members of the teams that family members have been uh, infected with with COVID, and they're kind of keeping an eye on it. Yeah. No, no, I mean it's it, it. You know, I think we're all kind of dealing with it. I'm sure there are other people out there there. So <laughs> everybody's kind of moving at a uh, more tepid pace, just kind of because we're keeping an eye on things. People are working from home now, so it's not like they have that distinction between like, okay, I'm going into work. And then when I come home from work, I can work on it. Like they're almost at work all the time now. Um, and so when the, right now we're in the middle of assembly. Um, and obviously when we first originally said we wanted to do never hike in the snow, we wanted to film in December and release in March. That obviously did not happen. Uh, we talked about that in one of our updates and we're looking at like, when is like the good time to release it? And we're not rushing. So we know we have a couple months, this really didn't push us back. We weren't like trying to like get it, get it done as fast as possible because we wanted it out. We want to release it at the right time. And we want to make sure that we have a clear delineation of, of how much post do we need? What needs to be done? The people who will be doing those things, what are their schedules and when can they fit us in and when will they be able to fit our budget? Um, And then once all those questions are answered, say, okay, we'll have it by then. Then that's around this date. Oh, there's a festival right there. Let's talk to that festival and let's do another release party. So there's a lot of conversations that have to happen, um, but we're hope. But it's going to be this year, and we just need to pick the right time. And I'm just, I know that it'll obviously be featured on the Womp Stomp Film YouTube channel. Um, will you? Mm-hmm. And you had an Indiegogo for physical media. Um, will there be any future physical releases or chances for people to get on it that might have missed the first round, similar to when you did Never Hike Alone? Totally. Oh, yeah. So Never Hike in the Snow, we just finished the first edition release. I haven't – I think when we come back to it, uh, when we do another – when we do, like, the second round of it, I think it will still be part of the first edition the same way we did Never Hike Alone because we did our first edition Never Hike Alone Um I mean, I mean, maybe I'll do a special edition. I don't know. There's basically a, there's been like a thousand pre-orders, which is pretty cool. That's a cool number to be at. It's actually sustainable for me to take that money and say, you know what? There's enough there for me to do a pressing at the price that comes in good for us without having to pay too much, um, and have that be something for the people who pre-ordered it, and then come back and do a second edition release, which is actually a post-film release um, that would fund itself as well. Because I think we would probably have a pretty good chance of selling another thousand, if not more, based on previous sales and the things that are going to come with it and stuff like that. We have a, we're pretty confident that that it will it will sell at a at a at a good rate to warrant its own um, Blu-ray release, and that will obviously help us fund then Never Hike Again, which is the next episode in the series, so ab- as well as pre-sales for Never so Hike. So after Again. your Never Hike series. Um- what is next, and are you are you planning on doing anything uh, like for your own personal projects that you want to see get done in the meantime? Not necessarily like, well, I've got to do this for work to make a living, but just passing projects, or is it as it you just want to see these yeah. through before you move on to the next thing? 
No, I mean, they're going to happen congruently with a lot of projects that I have kind of going on in the background. I've, I've realized that, like, the only way I'm going to be, ever be able to do this sanely is if I'm able to step away from it every now and then and work on something else. Like, I'm producing on Jason Rising, a Friday the 13th fan film. I'm producing on Dylan's New Nightmare, a Nightmare on Elm Street fan film. I just recently produced a film called Pathosis with a good friend of mine, Austin Boning. That was his directorial debut. We just started our festival run with that. Uh, we've been nominated for a couple awards already um and that was a really good um you know from a production wise like the, a good great feather in my cap to have a original project done through Wompstomp film so that was our first one you know obviously i created imagine on the side while we were doing this did another project called um last broadcast with my friend ben meredith we did a couple episodes of that um but i do have some major projects that i'm working on um one is called the kindness of strangers which is um full-fledged original feature about two serial killers that discover each other on the open road and battle it out till only one's left standing and um yeah it's a cool project i've been attached to um and it's kind of one we're pitching you know we're pitching those to like professional studios you know to big indie studios trying to get that made so that's something i'm working on while downtime and COVID is actually i've focused all my time onto that um also taking care of some indiegogo stuff but while i'm waiting for a cut to come in for never hike in the snow i've been working on that um some of the other projects jason rising obviously we released a, a, a teaser recently for that, that looks fun. um there's another project yeah, no, it is. It is a lot of fun. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I also just recently wrote a project called Ghost Chicken, which is a horror comedy. It's about a 20-page script that I've been submitting to script contests. And it, I just heard back from Crimson Screen Horror Fest today that it's in the top 10 uh, for scripts. It's up for a finalist uh, for, for Best Short. So I'm, I'm, um, I was I, I won Reels of the Dead. It won... Um, it got nominated at a few other ones too. So it's been, uh, you know, it was this fun little script that I wrote. That's really, it's, and it's literally, it's um, the story about a vegan restaurant that's haunted by the ghost of a chicken. So, uh, <laughs> so it's just got a fun little premise and I wrote it kind of on a whim as an exercise to not write something Friday the 13th related. Cause I've been writing so much Friday the 13th stuff. And helping so many other people out, something other people out with their fan films and other original projects. I wanted to write something original of my own that wasn't a feature, just something I could get start to finish on and just get it out. And so Ghost Chicken was this exercise to do that, and it's actually been very well received. And it, it's, it, you know, I, I had a lot of fun writing it. Um, and then there's another project kind of behind everything that I really think is that I can't like. I'm really pumped about kindness to strangers and then i have like something i'm right like but that's not my project that's something um it's a guy named ian bush who uh wrote the script and i was brought on to direct it and i've been given kind of uh script notes and things like that we've been shaping it to be pitched to the studios and then um and i'm really excited about it the project's come a long way and ian and i have worked together for about a year and change on it so behind the scenes we've been working on that too these projects take a long time to come together i, I think i hope people realize that that if you're getting into film and you expect quick turnaround on things and that's why i say it's all about it's the grind like anyone can get a project started at seeing it through i started a script a year and a half ago with with you know working on it and we're just now getting to the point where we can pitch it. The project that I was just about to talk about is called The Beginning of the End. I've been working on that script for three years. Wow. And I'm still not done with it. But 
I consider it probably to be the best thing I've ever personally wrote. And I wrote that with Nate McLeod, the person who helped me write Never Hike Alone. Um, it's kind of been our exercise in like next level writing and the way that we were saying like, okay, we found our next level camera, but I feel like we need to find our next level voices when it comes to writing. And so we've really been holding ourselves to a certain standard that's like really hard. And um, But we're learning a lot. And we haven't touched the script in a while because we're very, very busy, but I picked it up recently. And I think, you know, with COVID-19 and once I get my kindness to stranger stuff done and my, my, you know, my cuts start coming in for never hike, never hike in the snow, I'm going to have some time on the side to start picking at that script. And when I'm done with kindness to strangers, my goal is to have that done and say, okay, kid, what's next? And have this and being like, I'm really, really looking forward to doing this. And this would be a really great zombie, uh, you know, castle defense movie. And uh, let's make it. So, as you mentioned, uh, you have other projects and completed works beyond your Friday the 13th films. Where can people find these? So, when I had to find, uh, just to try to find up some of them, I know that uh, Imagine is on uh, the Womstomp Films uh, website, which I love. It's like three minutes. It's a very short movie. And when he got into it, I'm like, okay, what am I expecting here? All right, I see there's a soldier and then the zombie. And then uh, when it takes this Mm -hmm. sudden turn, I was like, whoa. That's really cool. Yeah. And <laughs> no, it's, it was a yeah, no, it's a really great script uh, written by a guy named Jeremy Brown who brought me in as a consultant. I ended up directing it um, because there was one of those things where sometimes people have an idea and they just don't know what to do with it. And so they, had, I when I had met them and they had brought me up to to, to look at that project, I, I they had sent me the script. I, I saw the movie. Like I saw this. I, I, what you saw, I mean, I basically saw in my head, cinematically cut wise. And so when I got up there and they were kind of like, well, we think it needs this and we think it needs that. And you know, one of the things I try when I go and I consult is, you know, is have confidence in your idea. If you start to question your idea too much before you get started, you end up undoing all the things that make it special and explaining too much. Just understand that you came up with a series of images that told you a story. So rely on those images to tell other people the story and they will connect because we all see things the same way in a way. So when they, when they said that, they were like, do you want to direct it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, watch. And so, and so literally they had this kind of game plan and we kind of threw it all out the window and I grabbed a set of note cards and I said, watch this. And we went shot by shot and I said, I think this is your short. And I think within the two days you have to film it, these are the amount of shots that you can get. If you try to add any more than this, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. And I think we still have to scale this down. And so we just went shot by shot and put that together in two days. And it, and it was kind of what I had learned from Never Hike Alone. And I realized that I, I fell in love with going uh, going and visiting with other filming units and just seeing what they're about and seeing how they get things done and learning things and then being able to share stuff. Like I was just talking to Jason Zink today, who um, is the director of a really great project called Straight Edge Kegger. And he's been tearing it up on the indie circuit. He's getting ready to make some stuff. And he hit me up. We were kind of sharing. We were lamenting the woes of building pitch decks, which are not glamorous at all. It's a lot of uh, Photoshop work and copy and paste and screen grabbing and just like trying to come up with stuff from scratch. It's kind of a frustrating process. But it's fun because you can kind of just conceptualize and do whatever you want. But we were talking about 
you know, pitch decks. And as you talk about it, you inspire each other. And he had questions and I kind of had some tools that he could use and you're sharing stuff back and forth. And it's like, and that's what I talk about when I talk about like the film community. It's that you go out and you meet these people and you meet other filmmakers at, at these festivals. And when somebody kind of runs into a wall, we're all there to run over and give them a support and lift them up. Like a good friend of mine, Tony recently, hooked us up with a great uh, title person. So the titles for Never Hike Alone are all right. I had to do them myself. But one thing I've always wanted are like professional titles on one of our projects. And with Pathosis, we got professional titles. It's a little thing, but we're like, yes, now we have something that kind of stands on its own two feet there. And Never Hike Alone, now we have that for every project we do from here on out. And so it's a cool, that's the coolest thing about Never Hike not Never Hike Alone, but Womp Stomp Films, is that everything that we've done, it started as us just doing it ourselves and researching it and eventually adding a member to our team that says, like, okay, it's not us being semi-decently talented filmmakers who can kind of make it work because we know what we want, handing it over to somebody who can take what we want and make it magical. And then we can work with them to, like, and as a director, now take it and bump them 10% because they're so much better at that particular craft than we are. And that's what elevates the entire film up. And it's like the more people you can add to your team, the more talent you can add, the better projects get. And it's nice to be a one-man band, but it's very taxing. And you can only be the best at so many things. I mean, there are so many things that I have to do on the projects that if I had somebody in my place, it would be better. It's just I hope I do it good enough so it doesn't stand out as the bad thing in the film type deal. And I can at least say that I have the skills to at least not have it be stand out bad, just appear in the background and be like, if I don't move, no one will notice me. (laughs) (laughs) More of a type of approach to some of the departments that we don't have coverage for. So um, I know that on the the website, uh, Pathosis has uh, like an animated trailer. When will that be? When will that be up so people can watch? Uh, we actually just released a new trailer for it that's on Wompstomp Films. And if you go to the Wompstomp Films website, and I should have answered the question that way before, there are links to both our YouTube page where all of our video content is. And then a lot of the information on projects that we have in production and some that we haven't even announced yet. We actually have some stuff that, that's up there. And it's, it's split between original projects, the Never Hike Alone uh, web series, and then our fan film co-productions, uh, which are out there, which is actually... Um, it's kind of like it's not. It's being worked on kind of in the background with the filmmakers right now, but we're working on a, an Event Horizon uh, oh, fan yeah. film. So, Ooh. yeah. So you know, so it's like I listen to like my friends who are talented filmmakers come to me and they say, "I've always wanted to do this," and that's that's the greatest place to start from when it comes to a project. I've always wanted to do this. When somebody tells me that, I know that they're committed, um, or they're at least they have the passion to do it. And then what we talked about before that. You know, that that commitment of are you going to be here a year and a half from now when you haven't done anything yet, but still ready that when the time comes, we're going to attack it um, because other things happen in other people's lives and things happen like that, that, that. That's the commitment. It's like, great idea. We're all excited about it. But now, how do we see it through to the end? And that... Um, and that becomes the commitment of it. And so we have some of those projects on the horizon that we're really looking forward to. And I realized that, like, we're not getting this all done in 2020 or 2021, that, like, Wompstomp Film really has the story content to keep doing it the way we've been doing it for another at least four to five years with all the content we have kind of lined up. How come, how come the Red Room isn't on there? I couldn't find that one. I actually had to dig for that. 
No, I, I'll, I'll talk because I mean, originally that wasn't a Womstomp Films production. That was a sneaky, uh, sneaky little frog production. That was Katie that was and frog, uh, uh, their channel. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure they'd let me post it. I could put it up there. Um, but yeah, that was really like their project, and I actually animated that logo for them. <laughs> um, and and it was, I mean, they produced it. I mean, they did all the paperwork. They they did everything. I mean, they were great. Um, and they gave, you know, I really got to thank them because they helped launch the career in the sense of like, it gave me the confidence after that. Like I finally felt like people saw me as a director and people had an experience with me that they felt that they were in good hands. And I think that that's ultimately all I ever wanted. I never wanted to be a director that when people looked at them went, oh Jesus, they don't know what they're doing. And there's been times never hike alone and every project I've ever done and every job I've ever done where people have probably looked at me and go, I don't think he knows what he's doing. Um, sometimes I don't and sometimes I do. And sometimes you get put in positions you've just never been in before. It's just all been theor- theoretical or it's been a situation that you have talked about and said, this could happen. Uh, so we got to be ready for it. And it's ultimately where I find my strength is, is that in the moment that when push comes to shove and you hit a certain you know, snag in the line that you either unsnag yourself and move on or you get yourself towed out to sea and you sink the ship. So, you know, I, and I will never let that happen. And, you know, I will fight as hard as I can unless it's completely taken out of my hands, you know, and I'm like, I'm literally pulled away by police (laughs) (laughs) and then thrown in the back of a paddy wagon. Like I'm going to see it through to the end. And if I have to do it by myself, I'll do it by myself. And if, you know, but I think that like people see that and they're like, you know what, no matter come hell or high water, we're going to, we're going to get this project done with you and we're going to go through it. And that's ultimately how independent filmmaking is done. And I hope that people out there hear that and like understand that as like a crew member, like, yeah, everybody wants to make their daily, but go make your daily on your, your HBO show or go make your daily on like the professional projects that are coming through the commercial projects, the things that have corporate funding, go make your money there. But when somebody comes along and they're like, yo, I've scratched together like 23 bucks, like, Make that decision very early on. What kind of filmmaker are you? Are you a commercial filmmaker that only works for a per diem? Or is this what you do? And when the opportunity comes out to kind of get off the grid and get out there with your friends and go make something that you have a little bit more say in, that like you can be yourself on, on set. You don't have to like hit the corporate standards or, you know, walk around and watch what you have to say like literally everyone can just be themselves and it's i mean i honestly feel like independent filmmaking is is kind of like pirate radio it's like you know it's like being out on the on the high seas with like whatever little cash you have trying to like get from one point to the other um and it's the people that you surround yourself with that will ensure that you get there and you know, it's ultimately your belief in your own project and the belief in the people around you that are also going to get you there. And if you have both those things, you know, you're, you're going to find success even in failure because in failure, people are going to rally around you and pick you up. And I think that that's, that's kind of the, the ultimate lesson is like giving yourself up to the process. And if you do it the right way and you treat people with enough respect that those moments that you do fail, even though it's going to feel like shit, the people around you are going to pick you up and that's, what's going to keep you going. And that's, what's really important part about the journey is you can't do it all on your own. You know that everyone else around you is there to help you. And I think that that's, that's something that, um, 
is key to, to making it through when the times are sure. really tough. And you just got to keep going. I'm sure that there are filmmakers out there that are like, God, I'm pretty sure everybody's looking at me like, I don't know what I'm doing. I bet you fucking Spielberg felt that way when the fucking shark wouldn't work, so. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he was felt horrible. I'm supposed to have a shark in this movie. How's this movie not supposed to have a shark? You know, it was brilliant how you didn't use the shark. Yeah, you know. Thought about that the whole time. No shit. I'm a genius. I went to USC, damn it. Um, so, Nachos, I know uh, you're – Nachos is our relative expert here on the show for all things Friday the 13th. I'm a huge fan, but he, this guy just – he devours and absorbs all this stuff. So I know that he has a, he has a set of questions for you uh, uh, now that we're kind of at the end here um, about Friday the 13th. So, Nachos, if you'd take it away from me, buddy. Yeah, if I can pick your brain real quick. Uh, I think to. you pretty much already answered this one. What's your favorite in the franchise? You said part six, right? Yeah, part six. Okay. Uh, least favorite. The remake. Yeah. Remake. It's just a little too CW for me. I don't know. Um, I think what it, what it is for me is that I like Never Hike Alone. I saw this. I saw 2009 as an opportunity for the franchise to go in a new direction and step away and step out of its shell. And it didn't. It just kind of played by the numbers. It played it safe. It really didn't have anything to say. And when it came to the Friday the 13th action, I think it was a lot of great ideas executed to a, a, a smidge of its potential. And I feel like the whole film is like a smidge of its potential. That if it, it, Like I said, it, and, and listen, Shannon and Swift, they love the Friday the 13th. I know they do. They have a lot of great ideas about the series. But they needed to be challenged by producers and directors who understood... M- I think something different about the film. I think what everybody there, they said, Hey, yeah, Friday the 13th is a movie about blood boobs and, and you know, Jason. And they never even thought that like, Hey, there's this, all these like untangled web of continuity that maybe we should clean up a little bit. So when we start to launch this thing into a franchise that we're not stepping in all the same old traps and trying to dance around the same things and answering to the same old, you know, critiques, let's get a little smarter. Let's build a better ship. And I don't think that they did that. And that's, I don't know. That's why I have like a lot of issues with that film. And I wanted to see it taken to another level. There's a lot of great ideas. I just feel like with a little bit more time and a little bit more thought, they could have been elevated into a much better film. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent answer. All right. I have another for you. What's your favorite kill throughout the entire franchise? Uh, it's Mark Part Two, uh, Machete oh, to the Face, backwards on the stairs. Love that one. Uh, I just think that's just that's so low. It's my. It's just like the lowest Jason gets. I mean, that's so like stabbing the girl with the banana. Uh, <laughs> God damn, both those kills are just like two people who just like really don't deserve it. You know what I mean? Like Mark. I mean, what's Mark do? I mean, let the guy have it. Like, come on. He's in dude, a wheelchair. He's just trying to get laid. You know? Fuck. No, he was a nice dude. I mean, he's in a wheelchair. He helps kids. Come on, Jason. <laughs> like, dick move, Jason. Dick yeah, move. Totally. All right, and this I don't know if there's any truth to this, but uh, at one point I came across something online that. In the Friday the 13th video, there was consideration of Ghost Jason being a playable Jason. So That was never officially... That was never officially um, stated. Um, okay. I had... So, what did happen 
was I created a, a kill for the never the for the Friday the Thirteenth game. Oh, that's awesome! And it was supposed to be called Never Hike Alone, but they had to change the name. Which one is it? It's uh, Free Kick. <laughs> oh shit, man! Yeah, so I got to design that with that's cool. uh, with Ronnie and Kane Hodder. So they I, they can't yeah. What gets me after he kicks the head, he does that little look like where to go, where to yep. go. Yeah, it came, Kane came up with that. Kane came up with that. I came up with the idea of like, I came up with, I pitched them so many ideas because they brought me over just to hang out. And so I was hanging out with Ronnie and Randy and Kane was doing his thing and just hanging out between takes and kind of just like listening to stories and, you know, Larry Zerner shows up and holy you know, shit, Ronnie, Ronnie. Ronnie turns to me and he's like, you can't tell anybody that Shelly's going to be in the game. Shows me models for Ted White and all this other stuff that was kind of going on. Shelly wouldn't even tell us he was in the game. We met him at an Alamo draft house uh, at a screening. Yeah, in Kansas City, Missouri, at a screening of Friday the 13th Part 3. And we're like, hey, uh, are you going to be in the game? And he's like, I don't even know about this game. And Nachos has this shirt. He calls it his Chad face shirt, where it's just that face Chad makes when Jason walks up with the kill, like at the beginning of every level. (laughs) And like, That's yeah, funny. of course, Shelly's just lying to our faces. It's like, I don't even fucking know about any game. They don't ask me shit. Yeah, Zerner played it real smooth. He's like, well, I don't know. Maybe uh, go buy the fucking game or something. Like, come on, come on, Larry. You know already got that. Yeah. So um, he, um, yeah. So he was, and yeah. So that was cool. But I mean, I had asked Ronnie. I said, do you have any interest in it? And the only thing was that, like, he basically said, like, we would love to add as much as we could. Um, but there were rights holders issues, and yeah. then there was a there was a boatload of content in the way. And I said, "Listen, I'll play the waiting game, and once you guys get through everything, I'm here." And so we were. I was gonna pick the conversation back up with them once they had completed Jason X, and I think they had a couple other things in the mix. I can't remember. I mean, they were still trying to figure out paranoia, and. Wow. You know, doing a couple other things, and so there was stuff to do, and then there was going to be the the thought of money, and so there were a lot of things to figure out. But we were going; I was going to try and approach it and build a package for them. Not that to say that they were like, if I brought a package, that they would have done it. But there was a conversation going on where I could have presented something to them, and there could have been a decision made, but we never got there. That's wild, man. Did you ever see the? Um God, I think it was like production, you know, like they had the whole hell Jason Savani thing or, you know, that Jason. They were cooking another Jason. I think it was like teenage Jason and he had like Pamela's sweater wrapped around his face like a mask. Oh, I didn't know about that one. I know. I know. I mean, I have Savini, Jason. um, And I thought that they were going to make one more. And I remember there was that there was one that like there were a lot of things. I mean, there were a lot of things that like they had pitched me that they wanted to do. And I just kind of kept my mouth shut and I can't even remember it now. Um, just a lot of really cool things. I mean, they said that there were things they'd never seen before stuff that was inspired by like other franchises. Like it was, I, I just know that if, if it never got shut down and they were able to keep continuing to improve on it, that it really could have been, you know, something great. And, you know, I actually just recently picked it up again. I've been playing on PlayStation, um, been passing time for COVID-19. So Friday the 13th has been one of the things that has helped keep me sane. Um, And, 
yeah, so it's it's fun. It's still it's fun community. There's a good group of players on right now. There's a lot of newbies on right now, so it's been fun to actually get back into playing Jason with people who don't know how to play the game. It's actually helped me warm back up. Right. So uh, I've just been clearing lobbies, <laughs> just like just stealing my will is Jason. <laughs> no, I mean it's just been like What's so up, much fun. Dudes? Yeah. Uh, I play with part. F- I do Ted White because I like to run That's after people. I hate part three, like not in real life, but like just in the game. I just don't like part three Jason for some reason. Anytime I get killed by him, I'm just like this sucks. So I, but I like the running aspect of like always being able to charge down people. And since Ted is strong and he can get through the door in three swings, I always feel like I can keep pressure on people enough that, that eventually they run out of energy and I just snatch him up and kill him. I had a little milestone. I finally got level 150. There you and, go. Uh, right, that only took three fucking years. So, <laughs> no, uh, I'm still right behind you. I got the game on day one. There's just like, so many bugs and all that now. shit right when it came out. But uh, I, yeah, they, I, they, I struggled through it, and then it was after Never Hike Alone. I never had any more time for it, and then I stopped playing right after because I was always on the road and I wasn't playing. And I was working all the time, and like. Yeah, it was only while I was making Never Hike Alone and I had taken time off that it had come out and I had a group of people to play with. Like, we would get on every night and play. Once that group dispersed, I just, I, I never got back into playing just like quick matches because of all the bugs. And now it's been fixed. You know, I get on fairly quickly and um, the matches are, I haven't had one match bug out on me. All right, I'm going to, this is just all hypothetical. This, this instance, you did get just, uh, ugh, words, uh, Ghost Jason in the game. What weapon would you have given him? The yellow axe? Yeah, it would have been the yellow axe. Not um, the, uh, the collapsible shovel? <laughs> no, yeah, that would have been funny. That would have been funny. Uh, no, he, I, he probably would have got the yellow axe. And, and the yellow axe is now, it's going to be a never hike in the snow, too, which is pretty cool. Um, I was kind of thinking about it today. I'm like, it's funny because the yellow axe was a gift from a friend. Uh, one of the original executive producers carolyn gare gave me that axe when we first started the first ever never hike alone the one that failed she said here i found this in my shed you can have it this is your weapon and i went oh this is cool and we that was always going to be jason's axe and now it's actually got like story tied to it um so it's cool it's cool that you kind of see like this axe in action which is something we've never seen we've never seen a weapon travel through multiple films and now we're going to see multiple weapons traveling through multiple films with between disappear never hike in the snow and never hike alone you will see certain weapons reappear from other projects and some of them used and aren't used but just so like we're trying to build that continuity of like stuff is there and we're going to keep seeing stuff and like things you see like pay attention because it may show up in a future episode that's cool i'm down yeah all right i got an audience for paying attention got another one for you you familiar with like neca the toy company yes i am okay uh do you think um ghost jason like the Uh, ultimate figure anytime soon i mean i i there are lots of legal questions uh so it comes down to Friday the 13th settling its legal issues. And then I literally want to take a drive across town and go talk to Larry Zerner and be like, how do I get them to buy this? Like, <laughs> how can I get like, even if like, even if they already own it and they can just make it into it, how do I make that happen? Cause I know they'll at least give me a free one. Like, right. you know, I'm like, come on. Like, this is a great new look for Jason. It's a, a, iconic. It, like, and that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's like, we need to come up with looks for Jason that are like unique, iconic, 
and can make a bunch of new toys because we get to collect those toys. But at the same time, those, those things continually feed in and keep the franchise alive because as long as the franchise is creating revenue, these companies are going to keep making it. And so the deal that we should have as content creators and as content consumers is that consumers should feel like the money that they're investing into your franchise, that they're receiving back the same kind of care and attention, that their money is just not being taken and they're given a blue Blu-ray with a green lettering with a Jason that's never existed in the <laughs> world on the first movie. He doesn't even exist. He doesn't even appear in the first movie as an adult, but yet he's somehow on the box cover with yeah. chains. Um, <laughs> and you know that like that there and that when there's new content being created that we know that there's everyone lined up to do all the fandom stuff to it. So it's built in that way. It's treated like a star Wars in a way that we know that people are going to want to mass consume it and give them that, but give them cool things to mass consume. So when they put that, you know, that when they've put their neck adjacent up on the, on the shelf that, you know, someone from our team has been there and said, listen, look, let's make sure we, these points are articulated. And this is the type of doll that we have. And it's not this version. It's this version. Oh, you know what? That mask doesn't really look like it. Can you do another pass on it? And like, working with people and, and, but knowing the language to get it there faster and cheaper and not waste time. So it's not a bunch of like there, it's just like the time is being taken care of. And there's somebody in that position who is knowledgeable enough of each of the materials to have the care, to know that there's a fan out there that, Hey, you know what? That's not my favorite Jason, but it's someone's favorite Jason. So I'm going to make sure I stop and I pay attention to that. Um, in fact, I heard Nicholas Tomlin Millionaire talk about that the other day when he was talking about doing posters about it might not be his favorite movie, but he's going to design the poster for someone who's a big fan of that movie and make sure they're hit, he's hating the moments in the movie and representing them on the poster that, that tell to the experience to the fan. And I think that that's what Friday the 13th fans are looking for in leadership from our content providers for when this thing does get back up and running that we need to see the time and attention is taken care of sort of what like they were doing with the game. I think they took a lot of time and attention to do it right. They hit a lot of snags. They hit a lot of roadblocks, but they were working with, they were working with minuscule resources and compared to like what other people have and especially like some of the film stuff, but, and then they got abandoned halfway through. So it kind of sucks to be in their position like that. But to show that like, if you put it in the care of people, people are going to show up and the fans are going to support it. That entire game was supported by fans. Giving, like, I don't know how much we raised, like a 1.3 million. Who knows how much of that actually made it into the game after they had to do with all the stuff they had to build. But they had to raise a ton of capital and do that. And that was not easy. Um, so my hat's off to them. I just want to see more people like that in charge of the, the, the series rather than people who just don't care. I was following that game since day one when it was like the other the summer camp game. They're yeah, like, oh, yeah. we, Tom Savani involved. It's like, oh, that's cool. And it's like, surprise, motherfuckers, that's a Friday the 13th game. I'm like, yes. What uh, what tier did you back it at? Oh, God. Uh, I think we both did the same one. It was the, uh, <clears throat> we got the physical when it was released, which I know it was delayed. And oh, we was... also bought separately the Savani, um, like, fiery hell, Jason. Nice. I have like six different copies of that game. Like I have the digital, the physical. I bought it for my dickhead friend who uh, 
for his birthday, and then like uh, I have like three other copies I've just miscellaneously bought for people. Like, play this right. game. We can play this yeah. game online. All right. Our so those came late, right. so we we went day one and just paid for the digital. Like, we, we weren't going to make a fuss about it. Like, some yeah. people were doing it. We were like, fuck it. It's 30 bucks. Here's my extra $30. Now I've paid full price for what is normally a commercial game anyway. I want to play right now. Yeah. Yeah, the fact um, you told me I could go to a store and buy a Friday the 13th video game that's not 1987, you know, blows my mind. I know. No, it's great. The, um, I have, I ended up getting the one where I got my name in the counselor database. Nice. Oh, yeah, so I'm in there. I actually, I think if from when mine comes up, I'm the first one on the list. Um, so check the counselor database when you go into the virtual cabin. I might be the first one. <laughs> um, and then favorites. I uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Uh, That's cool though. And then, but then I so I and then I got my physical copy. But I went to the uh, the Friday the Thirteenth game launch party, oh, uh, wow. Vegas, and I was gifted a steel book. Friday the Thirteenth game that's signed by like everybody. That's so cool. So I have that on my desk. It's actually right over here. So it's actually really, really rad. It's got uh, Part Eight Jason on it. Um, it's oh, where, where he's like in the middle of the lake kind of thing. Yeah, and he's just like, oh, it's really nice. Ugh. Man, that sounds wild. I'm a big video game guy, so I love collecting stuff like that. I think that's the one Marshall has, or something similar to that. So. Sorry, guys. I let the dog um, so, out. So, what are your favorite uh, horror movies and non-horror movies? Oh, good one. Oh wow, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of. I mean, Rocky, Godzilla, um, lots of stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm actually some of the f- films that like are a little bit more nuanced that I love. Um, I love The Prestige. It's one of my favorite That's films. Fan- that uh, the ending. Whoa! I know the ending really got me when I watched it. I remember when I first watched that movie. The ending really got me, and I loved the twist. And I can't believe I didn't figure it out. And as an adult, I'm like, how did right? I not figure this out? Right. You see, you're like, this is <laughs> but, very obvious. Yeah, I mean, there. But I mean, more Nolan. I mean, obviously, Memento had a big impact on me when I was as a kind of coming up. I was like, that's <clears> when I started to become a film student. Memento had just come out, and I was like really enamored by that. Recently, stuff like Nightcrawler. Dude, upgrade awesome uh blue ruin um i love the apostle the raid love the raid series um uh, wolf creek was kind of a more recent one that i, that I fell in love with the, that series i, I kind of really liked um I'm trying to think of what else i mean obviously like when when stuff came out this year i saw parasite in the theater and it was funny because i laughed and i said this really does have a stake claim at best picture of the year because it is really well made and i think it you know joker's great but it's obviously been built upon something that's been there and um there are some things about the you know whatever and all this stuff but you know so really like enjoyed parasite i just saw invisible woman which was good so i'm a big fan of lee winnell Uh, yeah but i thought upgrade was really just like the bee's knees when it comes to like independent thriller horror just really great stuff dynamic camera work great story good acting um trying to think of what else i've seen recently that's just so been you, like you had mentioned Godzilla, um, are you more of a fan of like the legendary pictures or do you like some of the older the toho sawa stuff oh no i'm a i'm a toa i'm a toa toho um what's boy your, all the way i mean i just got that one? oh you got the criterion uh, like the big collection i did 
I did. All right, you ready for this? You ready to laugh your ass off at me? Oh, no, you know what my favorite one is? My favorite is Godzilla 1984, uh, The Return of Godzilla. Um, but... Oh, man. I love Godzilla versus the sea monster. <laughs> I was just talking about that, man. Oh, my God, I love that movie. Uh, Ibora? Ibora? Yeah, Ibora, yeah, Horror like of the, the Deep. Big, oh, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, the big lobster. Um the movie makes no sense. It's hilarious. Frankenstein was supposed to be in it. It was one of those. It was one of those ones where there's supposed to be a giant Frankenstein, which I've never seen any of these Japanese giant Frankenstein movies. I know there were War of the Gargantuas, but do you know the story with that. I kind of do. I know that like Frankenstein. It is. It's bizarre. They want to make him like gigantic and like. And like very constant in Toho's like history, like they would have a film for Frankenstein, and then they'd be like, ah, make a Godzilla. Yeah, we'll and, put King Kong in it, or oh, something. we'll put make King Kong, and that's why King Kong when he gets hit by lightning comes right? back. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's like there's all these silly stories, but I really think that like, I mean, obviously I love the original Godzilla, but Godzilla, the Return of Godzilla, 1984, the non-Americanized version. Oh my God, that movie! If you're not crying. As Godzilla is sinking into the volcano in <laughs> that movie, you have no heart. You're not a human being. <laughs> you're one of the lizard people. Um, if you're a lizard person, how are you not crying? I mean, there's no um, on this side of the aisle. My personal favorite, which never seems to be anybody else's, is Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. It's such a cheesy piece of shit, but man, do I love it. You know what? The thing about like I used to love the the Hesai series when I was a kid because Godzilla looked more badass. As an adult, what I don't like about the, that era is that the suits are hard rubber and they don't move, and so they just bang against each other. Although I do enjoy the the lighting effects because it's mostly special powers fighting against each other. But I kind of like the the show uh, bouncing around doing judo kicks. <laughs> 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 yeah, oh version of the fighting and i kind of like in the millennia how they brought that back how there's more articulation but i don't know the millennia series i didn't i like how they're all one-offs that's kind of fun um there's some good looks and there's some odd storytelling um but i'm actually a huge fan of shin godzilla um that was pretty well, good love lo- i actually just watched it, it the other so day weird before it kind of like has its like mutation, right? You know, and it kind of grow, you know, like can stand up erect when it's just kind of laying down and just sort of. It looks like it's humping the ground. <laughs> just it. Yeah, it, he's like those weird fish terrifying. eyes. It looks like googly eyes. <laughs> he's having sex with the road, and then he's like looking at the camera, like what you're not supposed to do on set. Do not look directly in the camera. Come on, Godzilla, you have. Oh, it's just my eyes don't even move. Pudding, but man. Uh, as that movie just develops, especially at the end, I mean, man, that was, I was really surprised. I didn't think I was going to like a new look for Godzilla, and uh, I, I actually ended up really enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, it was so cool because it had so many cool aspects of, like, the nightmare Godzilla look. I thought the arms were a little puny. Um, what arms? I know. I, I really wish that they would have developed a little bit more there just for a little, like, I think that, like, I like Legendary Godzilla, don't get me wrong. Uh, I thought King of the Monsters was really cool. I think the design they have for Godzilla is really kick-ass. Um, but there's just places... Well, here, and that's the thing about King of the Monsters, is that it went places that only previously Toho would go. And so I had a lot of appreciation for a lot of the things Mike Doherty did in Godzilla King of the Monsters. <laughs> 
characters because I recognize things that like I'd only seen like Mothra disintegrating and bringing Godzilla back and just the way they treated the, the, I don't know. I was just like really impressed with that. They went to that place where only previous Toho would go with the fantastical side of Godzilla, which I think is very entertaining and hilarious. And my secret life goal is if I don't get to make a Friday the 13th, or even if I do get to make a Friday the 13th, that at some point going to Japan and making a Toho oh, Godzilla, yeah. not an American, Godzilla, making a Jap- be the first American to direct a Japanese Godzilla. Godzilla vs. Jason. <laughs> there you go. Ah, see, and it would work in the Japanese culture because for some reason Jason would be 800 <laughs> feet tall. It, it's like eight-year-old, not just McWerewolf's dream, and they, right there. In the Japanese there. culture, those, those people, they wouldn't need uh, like a 10-movie explanation of why Jason's eight feet tall. You'd need a 30-second clip, and they'd be like, that's fine. I'd take it. Oh, he would just, right. just appear. There you go. <laughs> Fucking radiation. <laughs> he, would just, he would just rise out of the lake already <laughs> that size. I like it, like some Power Rangers bullshit or something. I'm fine with it. And then, and then you would go, and then you'd go off to an expo- exposition where a Japanese character would be like, "You see, the lake in which is cursed knows that if Godzilla comes to face it, it must match it with something of equal size. So it has given, it has given Jason these powers, so it must face its match. And then, and then someone would go, "Yes," and then it would cut back to the fight. <laughs> see, I already got it. Boom. And that's all you need. You don't even need like a full scene. treatment. It's just like half a page. See, all right. What are we starting? What are we starting the kick uh, the Kickstarter for this? Because oh. I got twenty on it right now. Trust me, I'm like my next Kickstarter. I want to do is to like build a Godzilla oh, suit. Oh man, I would love to do a man in suit like crowdfunded Godzilla movie. But Toho is really, really strict about it. So like Friday the Thirteenth, they're not strict. I've got away with a lot of things. I've gotten away with because they just don't care. Um, and I don't think they take it very seriously, but, uh, Godzilla, they take everything seriously. There was a Godzilla fan film that got shut down a few years ago that had raised about $50,000 that, uh, got mixed very quickly. We could just tweak the name around like it's Bobzilla or something. <laughs> yeah. Put a fake mustache on him. <laughs> How about just like Green Monster Fun Time, <laughs> right? the movie. Like pick one of the ones where that it got changed to like gargantuous when it comes here or some shit. What was the what was the the Irish one? Oh, Gorgo! <laughs> man, they were yeah. We're just spitting gold over here. We just start writing this down, man. Gorgo versus Jason. We film it in Ireland. I have a hookup there. I could totally like. I have a I have a film hookup in Ireland. I could probably be like, let's get this That's film how you made. Can do it, and then you just bring it to Soho, and they'll be like, all right, you can make our version. Yeah, I'm like, see, look, I'm already an international <laughs> filmmaker. Uh, so, Vincent, I think that's uh, it for me. Nachos, did you have any other questions left? No, I just want to talk about these potential Godzilla movies we're just <laughs> crapping out over here. This is fire, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think I, I think I, I'm very a proponent of not doing Godzilla film. I mean, of not doing Friday the Thirteenth by the numbers. But I feel like Godzilla has a formula, and I don't know if people have figured out. Like every movie starts at sea, something happens in the ocean, and then we go to the land, and then people talk for a long time, and then we go back to the ocean, and then Godzilla comes up and he does his first attack, and it's like the same thing. But like, there's something so amazing about the about the repetitiveness that if you just change certain elements and it's all about the way Godzilla looks and the way his like powers work. And that's what I love about Shin Godzilla is that like, it was all that new stuff and you're like, Whoa, what is happening? Like 
when he does all dumps all that black like fumes into the city and then like ignites it all at once oh, i was just oh, like what what it's awesome. all about the moments you know what i mean and, like, it's all about amazing moments he has think, dead people in his tail or what's going on with that they just I like know. and then he has this power and then he has this power and then he has this power it's like his fucking tail breaks open and has lasers and shit. I'm yeah, it's got like its own mouth. It's like, what is going on right I'm now? I kind of jacked about but the it, legendary was the first film I was like, eh, I'm not really super on board. And then he took the Muto at the end. I thought he was just going to rip his jaw off his head. And then he just atomic breath down his throat to melt his head off. Fucking scream lasers yeah, down his like, throat. I've never seen that before. Okay, you've won me over. I like your movie. <laughs> yeah. You're going to kill I, Brian Cranston in 10 minutes. I know, uh, but you know what? I actually, I gotta say, I actually did enjoy. Um, I loved that. I like this thing with 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 Godzilla. He's like one of those things of like, you can almost tell me almost any Godzilla tale as long as it doesn't have Manila in it. I'll probably be good. Because uh, <laughs> that just throw that in the ocean. The Pillsbury Doughboy looking friggin' thing. Um, and so I kind of liked the approach of like keeping Godzilla secret, which I thought was cool. It was kind of like one of the, it actually was an inspiration for never hike alone in a way of like holding back the surprise and like, like, like earning it, like rediscovering it for the first time. And I think that that's, I mean, I think he held it even as a, as a proponent of the movie. I think he held on it a little too long. Um, but I did appreciate what he did. And that when, when J when not with Jason, when Godzilla showed up in that movie, I went, yeah, this ain't no freaking giant iguana. <laughs> I was like, this is Godzilla. This is it. This is what the Americans do, baby. I was like, yeah, like, this is good. I was like, finally. And then, yeah, he does the, the kiss of death at the end, and you're just like, Mwah! thank we were, you. Godzilla's we a badass. screaming at, at, the, at the screen every time something cool would happen. And I remember I was like, don't. They were talking to me about, okay, well, these are the protectors of Earth and the, the old you know, the old species that were here before man and, and dinosaurs even. And I'm like, don't, no, no, Monster Zero, you know, Ghidorah, he's from space. Don't, don't tell me that. And then they were like, actually, this <laughs> one is a rejected. He is not from this planet. I'm like, thank you. Yeah, he's a motherfucking like, alien. I'm like, and... Yes, yes, thank you. Nice. Yeah, and like everybody else, all, all like the noobs in the, in the theater are like, what are they yeah, talking about? Down. A space monster? <laughs> How could it be? You're like, shut up, you. Nothing <laughs> needs to make sense. Just These roll with it. 100 story tall monsters. You don't give a shit where they come from. <laughs> like, don't you shit talk shit on my monsters there, <laughs> motherfucker. So good. Oh my god, I love it. Uh, Vincent, thank you so much uh, for being on. Um, we really appreciate it. Uh, we love having you on here. We are big fans. We actually have Never Hike Alone slated uh, up to come up for review in a couple of weeks. We've got a, a bit of a schedule to get through. Um, so like our next episode, which actually we're doing right after this, is um, April Fool's Day. Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island? Oh, oh yeah. And, uh, and then we're going to do Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island because I have a birthday coming up. And that's the movie I chose for my birthday. Because we're adult. All right. Well, right. To each yeah, his own. Just, I'm a, you know, I <laughs> I got toys and horror movies. I might as well watch cartoons too. So then, of course, after that, we're actually doing Never Hike Alone, just because we just we love the movie. We're big fans. We backed it um, as much as we can, and we try to promote it as often as we can because we just really believe in your product, in your filmmaking skills, and then just in your in the franchise you made in general. Well, I appreciate that, and you know, and, and you know, there's a lot of people out there, and I just keep spreading the love and. 
Um, you know, there's lots of great filmmakers out there supporting independent films, um, fan films and original films as they come out. And yeah, I mean, we're just, you know, the community helps, helps breed the next, the next generation of filmmakers and we can't do it without, uh, your support. So it's greatly appreciated. And, 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 you know, I, uh, you know, do thank you. Do you have anything that you want to tell the people at home, uh, where they can find you? We've kind of talked about a couple of things, anything that they could check out that you're currently working on, anything so they could find you, how to help fund anything you want to plug while you're, while you're here. <clears throat> Yeah, make sure everyone checks out uh, WompStompFilms.com. That has links to everything. Our Facebook, you know, we have Wompstomp Films there. You're definitely going to want to follow us there. Never Hike Alone is on Facebook. You can follow that. We have a secret group called, uh, you know, the Never Hike Alone Hikers uh, secret Facebook group that you can join, ask to join, uh, where we kind of post exclusive things. Um, our Instagram is really popular. Uh, we post a lot of stuff there first, a lot of our imagery. You'll see a lot of the first look from the film of Never Hike in the Snow there. Our YouTube, of course, everything we've ever made is, is streaming there. I guess we got to get Red Room on it now, but mostly everything we've ever made is there. Um, and then, yeah, you know, there's a couple projects I'm working on right now. Jason Rising is actually still fundraising right now. They have an active campaign that's in demand. So uh, you should definitely check out the recent uh, teaser that we released, which is the opening of the film. So the actual opening two scenes of the film are shown uh, up until the credits, um, the opening credits. So you can go check that out right now on the Red Crow's uh youtube um and then back them you can get a blu-ray or any of the other things that they have there james sweet and carl winery are the, are the team runners behind that one um and i helped co-write and co-produce that one and then yeah i just got a bunch of projects coming up so keep an eye out for it keep an eye out um on all of those twitter and all that stuff to see when i'll be traveling to certain conventions once all the gates are lifted and we're allowed to go back outside again and yeah it's just been a pleasure talking to you guys and i love like as you can tell i love nerding out and talking about this stuff and talking about filmmaking and horror so it's it's been a pleasure and, and thanks for helping uh helping us and everyone get through a, a few more hours of a uh, covid no covid 19 no time thank you again for being on and thank you for everybody listening and remember everybody to stay spooky